0: Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Thursday morning, September the eighth. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good, Good morning. morning, Freehold. Um, so I told Rev yesterday the Braves could not. We could not sit back down this morning and the Braves be tied for first place in the American League East. They were either going to be a half game up, a game and a half up, half game down, or a game and a half down. Braves took care of business, which is all they can do, beating the lowly. Oakland Athletics, mm-hmm. while the Mets won a doubleheader against the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates. Here would be the question. Who's more lowly, the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Oakland Athletics? Because they both suck. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they really both are like 35, 40 games under five hundred, underfunded, um, lack of budget. And all honesty, if you're a Braves fan, the fact that the Pirates won one of three is kind of a success. When the, When the Mets won the first game yesterday – knowing that DeGrom was pitching the night game of the um, the day-night doubleheader, you kind of had to believe the Mets were going to sweep that doubleheader, win two of three. Um, so the Mets, as we speak, are one-half game uh, in the lead, but they're even in the loss column. And that's really what matters. Why does that matter? Because the Braves win 63% of their games. That means the odds are – I mean, the odds – I didn't say they will because they lose 37%, uh, but the odds are they will win – uh, that one game, that makeup game, that is the difference in uh, being a half game behind. So we shall see how that plays itself out. Um, I think they're Seattle tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday. Kind of an odd off day traveling to, to Seattle on the mm-hmm. West Coast. Um, they normally play consecutive days, but for some reason. It was just two games at Oakland. Yeah, two games in Oakland, day off today, three-game series in Seattle. Um, that's an important series, I mean, that road trip. 2-0 and early in the road trip. I don't think they have the Dodgers on the schedule. I think they do have the Giants, if I'm not mistaken. The Giants are a pretty good team, but they ain't the Dodgers. You know, stay away from the Dodgers if at all possible. It looks to me like, what, 26 games left? It looks to me like it'll come down to the last three-game set between the Mets and Braves in Truist Park, Atlanta, Georgia, end of this month. I think the last game may be actually October the 1st or something like that. Anything can happen. Um Friel's kind of a baseball guy. Scherzer getting dinged up a little bit. It's a big deal. Um, I told Rev a month ago. I said, "Hey man, when DeGrom DeGrom got back, but they rode Scherzer. I mean, they rode him hard. Yeah, he had to step up, and he ain't a young buck. I mean, he's thirty five years old, and I mean, he and he stepped up. I mean, give him credit. I mean, he, he was a um. I mean, he's a hall of fame, hall of fame caliber pitcher, and he looked like it, especially when DeGrom was not available. But they rode him hard. They asked a lot out of him." And once again, he's not a twenty-six or seven or eight-year-old pitcher. He's a thirty-five or six-year-old pitcher, and there just ain't so much good. I mean, there's there's been a lot of good in him in his career. I mean, there there's no doubt about it. But Father Time is undefeated, and you know he's um. There's some sort of fatigue he has in his lower body. Excuse me, in his arm, um, in his rib cage, oblique area. We shall see. Does he miss one start, two starts, three starts, four starts? I don't know. I will say this: every start that Max Scherzer misses increases the chance for the Atlanta Braves to win the National League East. But it's a hotly contested pennant race. You know, I was still looking this morning, the Phillies are having a good year. I mean, they're they've won 81 baseball games. I mean, they're having a pretty good year, um just not able to keep up with the two teams that and someone said last night that I mean, if you remember the Braves and, and Giants of the pennant race when the Braves won the American League West, the Braves won 104, the Giants won 103. There was no wild card, so the Giants don't make the playoffs. I mean, they went 103 baseball games and go to the house. I mean, that sucks. Yep. You know, and now they've got the wild card of the playing game. You went 103 baseball games now, you're getting the playoffs some way. So, you are 100 baseball games, you're getting the playoffs some way, somehow. And I guess expanding the playoffs, um, creating more fan interest. I get all of that. I mean, we live in a kind of – um, Instant gratification or self gratification era and age. I want to skip that though. The, to me, the big sports story is um is about the Gamecocks, and it's not about football. I mean, I know we're kind of getting into football season now. Um, South Carolina travels to Arkansas to play a um, top twenty-five ranked Arkansas Razorback team. Clemson plays Furman in Death Valley for their home opener. Um, not a lot to see there. I mean, it's it's kind of a local school, Greenville home of Furman Clemson you know where the Tigers reside so there's some regional interest there a statewide interest there but obviously you think Clemson would beat Furman three or four or five touchdowns depending on how much Dabo likes the Furman coach I mean a lot of times that comes into play mm. I told somebody the other day about Georgia and South Carolina uh they were talking about what's going to happen I thought I think Kirby like Shane <laughs> I think Kirby likes Shane. I mean, yeah, if Kirby didn't like Shane, he could do what he wanted to do. But because he does, Kirby's smart head coach at Georgia. I think Kirby likes Shane, so you know it won't be but so bad. Um, you never know. But but anyway, the, to me the biggest story is is I mean so so this is I mean Bert doesn't get sponsorship of this because this kind of delves off into the world of, of politics. I don't know if any of you kept up with this, but the I don't know Rev the the most elite team at South Carolina is its women's basketball team. I mean, there's no True. question about it. There are two brands in women's college basketball. One is UConn and Gino Ariema. The other is University of South Carolina and Don Staley. I've never liked that, but I understand the university says, if we're going to play a sport, let's try to be good at it. Okay, fair enough. I mean, if we're going to be a, um, if we're going to have Gamecocks on our jerseys, let's try to be good at that sport. Um, okay, fair enough. I get it. Um, to what extreme? I mean, what is the return on the investment made in women's basketball? Dawn Staley is the highest paid women's basketball coach in America. She's formerly the the Olympics basketball coach. Uh, She's a big deal in women's college basketball. I mean, she might be right now today the biggest deal. I don't know anything about the WNBA. I know former Gamecock, Asia Wilson, just got named WNBA MVP. So the Gamecocks are making their mark. (laughs) In the world of women's basketball, I bet she's making hundreds uh, of dollars playing that game. <laughs> in front of
1: tens of fans.
0: <laughs> yeah, a yeah, yeah. hundred fans. I bet there's more fa- I bet there's more fans at a WNBA game than there was at the brazier, uh, brazier uh, uh, Mets game, game yesterday. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean it sounded like some guy up in the upper deck just yelling and screaming and profanities, but everybody else is there to drown him out. So anyway, um, Don Staley cancels a series with BYU. But I mean, they had a home and home scheduled with Brigham Young. Brigham Young has said, I don't know anything about this. Uh, Brig Brigh- I read something yesterday and the day before. Brigham Young says they're making a commitment to women's basketball, and they wanted to play the best. They couldn't play UConn, so South Carolina was the, you know, that's kind of the two headed monster that rules college basketball today. But there's some other good teams. But Dawn and Geno seem to be the biggest deals in women's college basketball. So they have a volleyball game between BYU and Duke, and a BYU fan supposedly uh, berates a Duke volleyball player uh, in racially insensitive ways, slurs would, would be how it categorized. Dawn hears about this, and I don't think immediately, but over the next 48 to 72 hours, decides to cancel the game. I have no idea if Dawn this, did this unilaterally, if she was in um, concert with the university, uh, the president, the athletics director, I did see yesterday or the day before that athletics director, Ray Tanner says he supports Don Staley's decision based on what? I mean, the story has not been corroborated. I mean, that you know, he said, she said um, there's actually a political candidate who is the godmother of one of the players at Duke, one of the volleyball players at Duke that is running for some political seat in North Carolina that has now made it part of her political campaign. So, so you got to really question the accuracy, mm. uh, the, the veracity of the story or not. I don't have any idea what's true. I don't have any idea whatsoever. Maybe the university is comfortable in its position. Maybe they've investigated. Uh, they have corroborating information that least in the believe you know this is the right. But I mean it's bizarre to me. Clay Travis yesterday on Outkick. I mean, Clay's kind of a big deal in media today, like him or not. uh, Talked to a buddy of mine in the media, and he said, ah, Clay sold out. Well, you know, who doesn't, if given the opportunity, (laughs) the reason you hadn't yet had a chance to sell out yet. Uh, Took the money and run, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And um, he says, and there's a video out on Fox News, I think, that the University of South Carolina should be embarrassed that it allowed this to play out the way it has um there's actually once again you could google clay travis Don staley there's a youtube video i mean I don't know how many people care about women's basketball yeah i do not many um a lot of lesbians in them games um <laughs> seriously i mean i went once. Really? Like, when libby was little we went yeah and i mean it was just a lot of billy auto haircuts i'll leave it there um <laughs> okay <laughs> well I'm, I'm serious i mean it is what it is i'm not gonna bite my tongue and no. and you know say i didn't see what i'm I'm, I'm right? actually seeing <laughs> Was, I mean there's a lot of those there, okay um, so and I, to each his own, I mean, you know me, yeah, I'm not judgmental there right? It ain't my thing, but you know whatever. <laughs> um, so so do does Don unilaterally make the decision? No idea. Does Don in corrobor- or in collaboration with the ad Ray tenner make the decision Don't have any idea. That's the problem. I mean the university has not had an official statement other than we support Don Staley based on what? I'm a Gamecock fan. I don't want my university to be reactionary to every woke something or other that comes down the pike. But I mean, if, if this happened, then the university should get together and say, what sort of reaction should we have to this particular? But you've got a women's basketball coach who's really good. I mean, extremely good at her job, but a women's basketball coach is going to speak for the entire university about something, or the actions of this university, the flagship university in our state, toward something that may or may not have happened. That's a bit odd to me. I mean, I think it's, you know, who's in charge? I mean, is she in charge? Is the president in charge? Is the athletics director in charge? Was the board of trustees notified about what Dawn decided to do? I mean, how does one lady, I mean, I get her basketball team. That's her basketball team. That's our Gamecocks. I mean, that's our university. That's not her university. And and for one action or one reaction to cause that action is a bit bizarre to me as a member of the Gamecock family, big fan, been a donor, daughter's there. Um, I think I have a right to know why the university decided to do what it did. And I don't know much of anything yet. In fact, um, they're starting to call this the Jussie Molette or Jussie Smollett story. Right. Um, it, I, maybe I it didn't too. even happen. Now, now, that's going to be uber embarrassing if we find out that Dawn Staley canceled a home-and-home series with BYU, with, with the Mormons, because she heard that somebody said something at a volleyball game uh, about the goddaughter of an African-American female whose godmother is running for political office in North Carolina. I mean, I saw this yesterday in a press release. I mean, the lady running for office in the state of North Carolina expressed her frustration, her anger, her outrage. At what the situation was, and I mean, I, th- there is no way the University of South Carolina should allow Don Staley to act that unilaterally. The university is bigger than she is. The university is bigger. I was talking last night about the biggest sports figure the university's ever had, Steve Spurrier. I mean, Steve Spurrier is a Hall of Fame, legendary football coach. I can't imagine letting him do that. First of all, I can't imagine Spurrier doing something like that. But I can't. You can't let people get away with that. I mean, she is a, she is a great women's basketball coach. For what's that worth? It ain't worth much with me, but it is for some people. I mean, the the, the lesbians in section thirteen, and um, <laughs> but how do I, I? I just think it it's it's going to end up being a very embarrassing moment for the University of South Carolina to have allowed her to make this decision and the AD supporting that decision on innuendo and speculation. Yeah, I'd like to
1: know if the, if it was unilateral if she made the announcement before. There was any discussion with the AD or the president of the university. I mean, first of all, I'd like to know that. I, and then who signed off on it? And was she speaking with the blessing of the university administration to speak for the university on this issue? Well, I mean, if I'm the AD, and if not, if how I'm that the happened,
0: AD and Dawn comes to me and says, hey, I've heard this news, I, Dawn, we're not doing anything until I corroborate it. I mean, we're not going to do anything. We've got a deal, we got a contract with BYU. I mean, we signed a contract, they're coming here, we're going there. We're not doing anything until I find out whether this happened or not. And then we'll get together as a university and decide what our actions or reactions need to be. Um, But once again, the story has not been corroborated. As of today, the story has not been corroborated. He said, she said, who's telling the truth, who's telling a lie? I have no idea. I don't have any clue. And maybe the university's done all the due diligence. But they need to let us yeah, know they've like done know. the due diligence because the only way it should have gone down is Dawn Staley sit down with Ray Tanner, athletics director, and says, Ray, here's what I've heard. Can we find out whether it's true or not? Because if it's true, I don't want to put my team in that condition. I think that's an overreaction, but she has a right to overreact. I mean, she's kind of earned some of that. I mean, you know, whether you like this or not, all coaches are not created equal, right? I mean, Nick Saban's going to get away with more than uh, Shane Beamer. Dabo Sweeney is going to get away with more than um, uh, Napier or Napier at Florida. I mean, you, you earn some of that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but we're all human beings. We're not Vulcans. We're, we're not creatures of logic. We're emotional. When Saban says something, it carries a little weight. When Spurrier said something, it carried a little weight. Uh, I'm not saying it's fair, but it's the way the world works. But I'm bothered by not having a clue who made this decision when, how, and, and based on what information they had. Uh, cause I'm, I'm a Gamecock. I'm not the women's basketball coach. I'm not a big fan of women's basketball. I mean, I'm a little bit like, yeah, if you're going to put Gamecocks on your jersey, you'd be good at it. I mean, if you're going to play tiddlywinks, let's try to be good at it. I mean, we're good at bass fishing, right? Got mm-hmm. an equestrian national. We want all these national championship things people don't give a rip about <laughs> <laughs> other, than college, other than college baseball. But uh, I, I just think there's a lot here. I mean, there's a lot here to stew on. Uh, here's where it gets real political. The Freedom Caucus version of the South Carolina General Assembly. I don't know that Jay nor Philip are a part of this. I don't know about Mike either, but the Freedom Caucus equivalent, I think they call themselves the South Carolina Freedom Caucus. They sent a letter yesterday to the University of South Carolina administration asking for those sorts of questions to be answered. I mean, it, it became a, it's all of a sudden an official matter now. Why does it matter? It's a public institution, but they receive public funding. They receive lottery money that runs through the General Assembly. I mean, there are millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, taxpayer dollars, that make its way through the General Assembly into the coffers of the University of South Carolina. They have a right to know exactly what happened and how you base the decision on canceling a contract. Now, if I were BYU, I'm kind of a hard butt. I'd sue. I mean, he signed a binding contract. You cancel the contract on what? Rumor? Hearsay? Innuendo? Speculation? I mean, we've investigated. We can't find out who said what. And I, I, you got to be real careful going down this road. But once again, the, the politicking of it is all of a sudden when they get the letter. And the Fox News reported this yesterday. The General Assembly of South Carolina, or a caucus, members of the General Assembly, certain percentage of membership sent a letter to the university asking for detailed, specific answers to those sorts of questions. We shall see how that plays out. Uh, I'll say this. I'll go on the record. I'll be the, I'll be the only gutsy one enough to say this. If Don cancel this game on her own volition, separate of university guidance, I'd fire her. Fire. I mean, I'd, I'd get rid of her. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you better <laughs> believe it. Um, that that would be controversial. Can, can you
1: ima- imagine the blowback? Well, I mean,
0: I, I'm not saying they'll do it. They won't do it because they're bureaucrats. Right. I mean, they, they're weak kneed. But but if she went rogue. And decided to do that and force the university to kind of react to her immediate decision. Yeah, I terminate her. I mean, yeah, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a breach of contract. Now, I, I don't know what she's what she can and she's a big deal in that world, but that world ain't
1: real big. Let's go to the phone. We have Breeze now. Hey, Breeze. Oh, he dropped. So we'll go to Joe. Hey, Joe.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, The problem with this is now you have to take responsibility for every fan you have in the stadium at your university. Yeah, when do you
0: cancel the next game?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that that creates a big problem. Good example, look at LSU. LSU won the national championship two years ago, and they fired Ogeron because he didn't have a, another national championship in, what, a year, two years? And they hired this Brian Kelly guy, and he loses the first game. So fans kind of, you know, go a little bit crazy, but you have to look at Duke University and what they did with the lacrosse players. So there's a little bit of history here that, you know, you have to sit down and evaluate. And I just think, Don – made a snap decision based on hearsay. And now they're finding out that maybe this person either didn't exist or they were an outside source that wasn't part of the university in there just to cause trouble. So you've got to get all the facts. And like I say, light always uncovers darkness, so... We'll take it at that. Y'all have a good one. Thank you,
0: Joe. Well, somebody had to tell. It's not, I mean, look, look I, I'm not, Dawn's not an administrator. I mean, Dawn's a basketball coach. So I would expect her to be a bit raw, right? I mean, I would expect if, if Dawn hears something that she believes is negatively influential toward her players, I understand a coach doing that, but the coach doesn't run the university somebody's got to put the coach in their place. Somebody had to say, Dawn, we're not going to do anything until we find out exactly what happened. I don't care how black, brown, green, yellow, Republican, Democrat this story is. This university is not going to take any action until we find out exactly what happened and then collectively we'll decide what is in the university's best interest. And it appears to me that none of that happened because she's uh, an influential African-American female sports figure. And nobody wants to get crossed up with an influential african-american sports figure i would i absolutely would tell her hey you're a hell of a basketball coach but you don't speak for this university until this university signs up for whatever it is we're going to say and the only person i can ever imagine that that may get away with that didn't try it spurrier i mean spurrier graded on people but Spurrier never stepped that far out of bounds. Spurrier never said, "Hey, those guys at LSU threw batteries at us last time we were in Baton Rouge. We ain't going back down there." They said some things about my, you know, uh, my, my slow white linebackers or my tall black receivers. I mean, the absurdity of that. But that, that's kind of where we've allowed society to get. And I, you know, once again, it's uncorroborated, and to me personally, it's embarrassing toward the University of South Carolina. And I'm a Gamecock. Take a break. Back in a minute. You know, you can call these lot. I mean, I had somebody tell me yesterday, you know, I, I drove over four potholes while we've been talking. The, the, the General Assembly shouldn't worry about this. I disagree with that. I mean, I think the General Assembly should worry about everything. And the South Carolina Freedom Caucus is actually, I mean, they're, they're seeking clarification for the school's decision to cancel this two-game series with Brigham Young. Fourteen lawmakers, um, all Republicans, have asked for um, some answers. And um, they sent a series of questions to the university about the alleged Duke BYU incident. Now, now, once again, I had two people, three, about three people yesterday tell me, why are they worried about that? Because it's the flagship university of our state. A lot of public money makes its way. And somebody's got to challenge this wokeness, this political correctness. It talks a little bit about the the party of an action, the party that doesn't do anything, the party that tells you how bad the Democrats are, and that's it. I mean, the Democrats suck. Vote for me because the Democrats suck. Give me a reason to vote for you. And you can say this is not under the purview of the General Assembly. It most certainly is. Is it a big deal in the grand scheme of things, whether we play BYU or not, in basketball, and women's basketball? Of course it isn't. But but can a lady single-handedly lead a state university, the biggest in our state, in a particular direction or other? Somebody's got to stop that nonsense. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Morning. Yeah, man, I got
3: well, someone last one again, I don't understand why anybody would give a dime to the University of South Carolina, any of these other schools. Or even send their kids there. I mean, these people hate us. They despise us. And we keep sending them money and they keep doing this kind of crap. You know, it goes back to this whole thing, like I said before, do you think the average policeman wakes up every morning and tells his family he's got a great idea, he thinks he's gonna go out and Shoot another innocent black man just just for the fun of it. I mean, at today's climate right now, do you really think any person out there? I mean, he'd be better off setting himself on fire. Do you really think any person out there is stupid enough to scream out racial epithets at a basketball game or anything like that, or even get? I mean, you can't even you you can't even use those type of words. Standing by yourself in your front yard because you might be afraid a satellite may pick it up. So nobody, nobody will. Yeah, I mean, so the whole thing. I, I would be very surprised if it's true. But here on the other side of the coin, what what is being said about African Americans' behavior toward whites? How often are African Americans making racial or insulting comments against whites? What about the violence that is being committed on whites by African Americans? Then the next question is, how many African? I mean, Dolph Staley's obviously African American, but it seems like the biggest race issue is white people calling other white people racist. You know, you got this thing where you hear these people talking about driving while black. Well, maybe we need to have another say, jogging while white. You know, if you can sit there and keep going around back and forth about this, but there again, I think a lot of it is just diversionary. Because, you know, I was talking with someone yesterday. And if you just start stating the facts about what these Democrats are done, have done in the past three years or for that matter 100 years, but let's just say the last three years, you can run a campaign and never even mention Donald Trump's name. You know, I mean, everything they've done, we need to expose, as you said, expose this wokeness, this stupidity every step of the way. Like a man that dresses as a woman that says she's a woman being an admiral. I mean, are you, really, are you Are you kidding me? I mean, everything that they do is just so ludicrous, but we listen to it. I had a client tell me yesterday that two of the biggest uh, glaciers in the world are getting ready to fall into the ocean and just getting ready to raise uh, the sea level by two feet. And I told him, I said, well, all of your buddies are going to have to sell the beachfront property, including Al Gore, Barack Obama, and Bill Clinton. I said, you know, I mean, the stuff they say is so stupid that most people don't call them on it. And we need to keep calling them. I'm sick and tired of being called a racist by racist. I'm sick and tired of being called a fascist by fascists. I'm sick and tired of being, you, you, you see where I'm going? Sure I do. I mean, being called, say, I, that I'm violent. No, you're violent. You know, you got Democrats right now saying, if you vote Republican, you're voting for a civil war. If you want to avoid civil war in this country, you better vote Democrat or the entire country is going to burn to the ground. That was Kathy Griffin said that. Now, come on, man. We can sit there and keep being called these names, and our politicians need to raise hell every time this bullcrap goes on. And, you know, and even if somebody does make a comment like that, you know what? Hey, that's bad. But, you know, Dangle, you, just, you, you know, but right now, How often is that done? Rare, very, very rare. But how often are white people vilified? Every second of every day. And we just sit there, oh, my gosh. You know, I guess we deserve it. I guess we deserve it. I don't want to say anything. Dear Lord, please don't call me a racist. But the whole damn world's racist, if you get right down to it. Blacks are racist. Whites are racist. Mexicans are racist. Asians are racist. Everybody's a racist in one way or another. But the only people that get called racist are us, and the only religions that get persecuted are Christian religions. You know, I guess Jews, but you know you know where I'm going. Judeo-Christian. We, just got, to sit there and give, we got to give them hell. We got to fight, guys.
0: Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Well, that's the point I'm trying to make with the letter. I don't think any member of the General Assembly are really bothered about the University of South Carolina's women's basketball team not going to Utah and playing BYU. I mean, I, for the life of me, I can't imagine any member of the Freedom Caucus, but I'm going to read you this real quick and then we'll go to the phone. It is our opinion, this is the letter from the General Assembly from the South Carolina Freedom Caucus to the University of South Carolina. It is our opinion the university acted arbitrarily and capriciously without consideration or regard for the facts and circumstances. This begs many questions. Chief among them, why did the University of South Carolina cancel the series against BYU when no supporting evidence existed to warrant such action? That's a political statement. That's not about, you know, Dawn's women going to to Provo. I mean, that has nothing to do with that. Will the University of South Carolina reschedule with BYU and issue an apology if the allegations continue to be shown as false? Is it now the policy of the university to forego or, more concerning, ignore any fact-finding mission into allegations of wrongdoing? Will the university be canceling all sporting events whenever any fan of any university against the Gamecocks, with which the Gamecocks have an upcoming game, is accused of acting inappropriately? Is the University of South Carolina now taking responsibility for all of its fans, regardless of any relationship with the university? What is the policy of the University of South Carolina for canceling games, in which allegations of wrongdoing by a future opposing school's fans are made? And finally, will the University of South Carolina decline any games with Duke University, given the verifiably racially insensitive tweets by a member of Duke's fan base, Miss Pampley, I mean, she's the one that used, she's the godmother of the the, the student that says she was verbally abused and she's a candidate for some elected office in North Carolina. I mean, this letter reeks of politics. This has nothing to do with women's basketball. This has nothing to do with the competitive spirit of intercollegiate athletics. This is all about politics. And and once again, Tabriz's comments, and I want to applaud the Freedom Caucus, call me crazy. Say the University has, I mean, excuse me, the General Assembly has no business meddling in the affairs of the women's basketball team at South Carolina. Higher education is a function funded by the public dole. I mean, we've had extensive conversations for two weeks about student debt, student debt forgiveness, uh, the beholdenness of the taxpayer in regards to that circumstance and situation. So, yeah, I mean, I will look under every rock. I will look under every pillow and I would make sure people are forced to explain themselves when they do these things in the name of woke political correctness or or racism. Let's go to the phone.
1: Here is Dale in Florence. Good morning, Dale.
0: Morning, guys.
4: So I can see this playing out a couple of different ways. Um, My whole thing is I've been seeing where, and it seems to me, I think Breeze is right, if somebody was screaming that word out in the middle of a women's volleyball game, now granted there's probably only about 15 or 20 people there watching it, but there would have been around this person. Wouldn't there have been a big ruckus, somebody calling security, somebody doing something, more witnesses than just one person who's how far away from this person? I don't even know, you know, and how loud was it? And nobody else heard this. There would have been some kind of ruckus. And then, if uh, if the university somehow overturns what this coach has done, I can see the backlash. South Carolina won't be able to get a women's basketball game with anybody in Division One. If they shut her down and they reinstate those games with BYU and all this and that, boy, it's going to be a crap storm the likes of which we haven't seen in a long time. You guys have a good day.
0: Thank you, Dale. Appreciate it. Duke's Rachel Robinson claimed that a fan subjected her and her black teammates to racial slurs throughout the entirety of the match. The allegation has since come under scrutiny. Mm, Okay. Um, BYU officials have said they were investigating the incident and BYU Police Lieutenant George Bassendorfer said last week, in an initial investigation of the footage from the crowd did not appear to show the person who was banned shouting anything while Richardson was on the court. I mean, that's what we know today. I mean, that, that is an official release from the BYU Police Lieutenant um, about the footage they attained or obtained and the review that they made. Th- the point I'm trying to make, guys, is... The, the Republicans don't fight, right? I mean, it, it, kind of our complaint, you know, if, if the woke political correct cow speak, the, the Republicans got to get out of the way. We don't want any trouble there. We don't want to be accused of being a racist, politically incorrect, or, or insufficiently um, respectful of what's happening in the world around us. Somebody's got to call BS, BS. And maybe this is a a starting point. The Freedom point. Caucus. Well, I mean, appears, yeah. Maybe. I mean, the, the Freedom Caucus appears to be willing to do that. Well, and and for one, I mean, out of these fourteen lawmakers, some some are kind of off the beaten path. I mean, I know I, I read the list. I mean, of the fourteen, I know six or seven. I mean, they're, they're they're legitimate people. They're they're not you know crazy. Somebody's got to be an equal and opposite resistance. To this nonsense. I mean, I've said that over and over and over again. You know, I'm tired of Republicans saying, well, you know how those Democrats are, you know how those liberals are, you know how racism is, you know how political correctness is, you know how, well, what it's that way because you never provided an equal and opposite force. It was never confronted. I mean, if you don't stop, if you don't damn the water, the water goes where the water wants to go, right? I mean, the water consume everything inside. If you don't dam the water or direct the water, somebody's got to provide a resistance. And I think Trump wrote the playbook on how to do this. So few people had the courage to do it. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there.
1: Betty in Florence. Morning, Betty.
5: Hey, Ken. Don Staley is the biggest Durham racist I have ever seen in my life. I am a Gamecock fan. Have been since uh, 79 years ago. And I think that they need to get rid of her black butt and also Ray Tanner, and I would rather not have a basketball team than to continue to put up with her. Thank you, and y'all have a wonderful show.
0: Thank you, Betty. Appreciate that. The point I'm trying to make is if she unilaterally made that decision without corroborating with the universe, there's got to be some level of sophistication here, right? I mean, I'm as unsophisticated as they come. I am as raw as they come. I mean, I ran a family business. I could run a family business how I chose to run it, as long as my brother and I were somewhat on the same sheet of music after my father passed away. I accept that you can't run a public institution that way, but there has to be some regard for process. And, and the point I'm trying to make, and I think these, these questions are very appropriate that members of the Freedom Caucus are asking, how did you arrive at that decision? I mean, what thought was put into What process was followed? What investigating was done? Did you call the BYU police department? Did you call the BYU chancellor or president? Uh, the BYU athletics director? Or did you just read a news account on salon.com and, and unilaterally make a decision, force your athletics director to be a fan or a supporter? Um, once again, if I did a full investigation and found that this was not true, that this cannot be corroborated i would dismiss dawn staley she would no longer be the women's basketball coach in south carolina and if ray Tanner's not man enough to do it i'd find his college president i'd find somebody who is and it's not in the name of woke or political correctness or you know how important women's basketball is or not nobody's bigger than the university you can run your you can run your private business how you choose once again, the owners of community broadcasters can call me right now and say, "Hey, you're no longer allowed to be on the radio." I don't have any grievance. I mean, I can yell and scream and get mad and say I was done wrong, but at the end of the day, that's the way the I mean, that's the way the ball bounces in the private sector. The, the public sector, I'll accept, has a different set of criteria. There has to be a little more thought put into some of these decisions. I think there has to be too much thought put in to some of these decisions. Um, but, but Breeze says something very interesting a second ago. Um, about why would you give money to these woke universities anyway? But, well, I mean, I love football. I want them to win at football. I want to have good tickets to the football game and, and a decent parking spot. When, when I go to williams Bryce, I don't think about, you know, gender studies or I don't think about woke or political correctness. But I do get real frustrated at the nature of higher education. We've talked a lot about the funding of higher ed, uh, the scamish model that has been allowed to kind of perpetuate itself and you know, debt forgiveness and transference and all these other sorts of things. But but when you look at universities in America and we did this last week and you kind of conclude that about 97 percent of all its political contributions are given to the left, it empowers people like Don Staley. I mean, why wouldn't she think she could get away with that? Ninety seven percent of the administration is probably liberal. Ninety five percent of the faculty is probably liberal. So she would be celebrated and revered as somewhat of a warrior taking on, you know, racism, taking on sexism and misogyny and all these other, I mean, she would be heroic in her efforts. But when you look in the stands, it's not college professors. It's not woke nor politically correct individuals. I mean, it's regular folk who come from the real world. And, and you do wonder why you're continuing to support an institution that that not only is monolithic in their opposition to the way you see the world but churning out graduate after graduate after graduate who by and large vote for issues and policies that are not in your best interest so so it is kind of oxymoronic i mean there's no doubt about it you get yourself conflicted very easily as a conservative republican fan of a college football or baseball or basketball team. And, I, and I'm not saying Doll's not a good basketball coach. I mean the record speaks for itself. She is unbelievably good at what she does, but she's not bigger than the university. Nobody is. back in a minute. 8436610937. Oh, what do we do when we believe the whole world is falling apart around you? I mean if everything you believe in, everything you put your faith and trust in begins to erode gradually incrementally, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, these values that you, which you've kind of, I don't know, built your life around, but I mean, they're the pillars and bedrocks of how you conduct yourself, live your lives, the beliefs you have. What happens when those values become in the minority, in the very distinct minority? Um, what, what do we do? You know, I, I read a lot about, there's a guy named Bill Bonner. He's a wealthy man. He's a, kind of a hermit. He's a he's almost took himself out of society. He made a lot of money in investing. Um, He's one of these guys, builds his homes with his bare hands, but but he also knows how to run hedge funds and he knows how to read all these uh, financial spreadsheets and whatnot. But he's talking about um, America's winner. And the fact that um, one of his comments, one of his lines is as government becomes less less reliable, less trusted, the people begin reverting to their own, uh, self-preservation, in other words, your survival skills kick in. And I read a story earlier this week that was so interesting to me. And it may not be interesting to you, but it's incredibly interesting to me. Once again, it kind of hold on as government becomes less reliable, comma, less trusted, people become a little bit more introspective. And I'm talking about people who don't believe it's government's job to take care of things and, and take care of me. I mean, it's my job to take care of me and, and my family and my way of life. You know, I don't need government meddling in my business. I don't need government dictating my fate and future. I'd much rather do that myself. Now, the scary part of this is about 30% of the country don't believe that. They do believe that it's government's job to dictate the terms and conditions which we uh, live our lives. Um, what do we do when government becomes so detached or so out of kilter with the way we see the world, um, you know, I, I've said this before, the divided states of America, you know, you get I mean, on are your there side more of the people, people that believe in well, I mean, that big government I, I think control. there are a lot of people that believe it, but what actions do you take? I mean, there's one thing to believe it. I mean, do you believe government's less reliable? Less reliable? Do, do you believe yeah. government's to be trusted less? Okay, <laughs> yes. have you decided what you're going to do about that?
1: No, I, I mean, don't know what I mean, we live in a do.
0: nation of self-governance and laws, right? I mean, lawmakers have the capacity to make laws or pass laws and policies and um, edicts and orders that you have to abide by, whether you like them or not. The the, the question, the prevailing question is, or do you? I mean, at what point does government be, become so unreliable, so untrustworthy that you don't have an obligation to do what they say you must do? Um, I always believed that we're going to get there one day. I think I'll live long enough to see some of that. I mean, that's not anarchy. That's civil disobedience. And and I think, I mean, I always thought somebody would lead the charge. I never believed it would be a uh, a French luxury retailer. But here's the story, and I think this is so interesting uh, to the point I'm trying to make. From, from what I've read and some of the opinions, now these aren't opinions given on CNN because that freaks people out, and CNN wants you to believe everything's okay. The government's got this handled. No big deal with $31, two trillion trillion in debt. No big deal that in the first hundred years of the Fed's existence, they printed a trillion dollars since, I mean, in the last 13 years, they printed about 12 or 13 trillion. No big deal there. I mean, everything will be fine. Calm down. Biden's got this. I mean, that's the conventional <laughs> narrative, right? I mean, you would agree to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, CNBC can't afford to say how bad things could eventually become because their business model is predicated on what? People investing and believing the market. I mean, I think that's on the table now, and that's not a conspiracy theory. That's not being a nut. I mean, I think once government proves that it can't be trusted and it's not reliable, people begin to lean on their instinctive survival skills. What does that mean? You know how you feel. You know what you believe, but what do you do about that? Louis Vuitton, I don't know if you saw this story or not. Louis Vuitton um, had its stores ransacked in Portland. In particular, one of the high end. I mean, they're not in uh, blue-collar neighborhoods. Louis Vuitton, uh, Louis Vuitton is a um, a luxury French retailer and designer, right? Uh, I went online this morning. Louis Vuitton purse, three thousand dollars. Doesn't come with money. Three thousand dollars <laughs> for an empty purse. Mm. Um, Louis Vuitton has refused to pay its 2020 county and city tax bill to Portland. The, the I can't think of the county's name but anyway the city of portland and the county portlands located in um they owe about 542,268 they owe um the the city they owe 23,825 they owe the county 18,443 so combined the company owes 42,268 they're in arrears they're being sued by the city of portland for um collection of this 40, uh, where well, the city would be the 23,825, but the county is going to sue for their balance of 18,443. Um, the city sent a tax notice. Louis Vuitton, I guess, received the tax notice, never paid the tax. County tax never paid the tax. Uh, once again, Portland, Oregon is in the United States of America, last time I checked. Louis Vuitton is a French luxury retailer, and Louis Vuitton, at the corporate level, has decided. We're not paying. We didn't get protection. They didn't bring the people that, I mean, they had $300,000 worth of merchandise sold. They had $500,000 worth of damage done to their business. And the city of Portland basically said, we're sorry, nothing we can do about it. So Louis Vuitton says, well, I'm sorry, nothing we can do about it. it's gonna cost you about $42,000 between the city and county tax liabilities. They have. I think that's where we're headed. Mm. I mean, I think we're going to see much more and more, and more and more. Very similar
1: to what you've been talking well, about. I,
0: I just there is no other alternative. With the taxpayers, if if I'm paying the city and county tax dollars to provide security and to bring justice to the people who break those laws, and you don't do it, I don't owe you anything, and we'll hash it out in court. Now, now, most people are afraid to do that because they have money to go hire a big lawyer and, you know, and represent themselves in a, in a meaningful fashion. Louis Vuitton does. It's a multi-billion dollar French luxury retailer. They've got deep pockets. they sold a bunch of those $2,000, $3,000 purses and wallets and, and whatnot with that LV brand on it. Um, saw a couple of those when I was in politics. Mm. Never had one, but saw a couple <laughs> of those. Um, but but I do believe that this is going to be much more the norm than the exception. I'm not, I'm not saying we I will live long enough to see a tax revolution, but the one thing the government can't operate without is your money, period. I mean, they cannot operate without your money. And if they set aside certain funds for police protection and to bring people who break the law to justice and they don't perform those duties, what is your obligation to that? I mean, once again, uh, Our government is less reliable. That's simply words on a sheet of paper. Our government is less trustworthy. That's nothing more than words on a sheet of paper. When Louis Vuitton withholds $42,000 from the city and county, which is responsible for making sure people are brought to justice and their property has police protection. When Louis Vuitton, how many other businesses will do this? I mean, I knew eventually this would happen. I mean, I think it'll go personally. I think it's professionally. I think it'll go business-related. I think we're going to live. I think the next 10 years, you will see a huge percentage of businesses and people who pay for what they believe they received. And and I, I have no idea how the legalities are sorted out. I mean, can Louis Vuitton make a case in a trial? that they don't owe the money because the money was provided. They were charged the money for police protection and people to be brought to justice. None of that happened. So what did they do with my money? Why would I continue to give good money after bad money? If I give all of this money in the name of protection and security and, and bringing people to justice and you don't do that, why do I owe anything? but I mean, this is such a hypothetical, and this is the macro argument we're talking about. The, the other macro that I think a lot about is the people in charge know that they have failed. I mean, they're not that stupid. I mean, they're responsible, incompetent. They're not that dumb and stupid. I mean, incompetence and stupid are not the same thing. I mean, a smart person can be incompetent,
1: right? Right. I, I'm but not are so they s- that self-aware? I mean, well, I mean they, they're not, not going to look at themselves and say, "Oh, this is this is me. I messed this up." No, but they'll look. Uh, they, Will they, they? they won't tell you and I that.
0: Hmm. But I mean, s- somebody in Washington has to wake up every morning brushing their teeth, looking in the mirror and saying, man, we've made a mess. I mean, we've got $31 trillion of, of our debt. We've got one point, I and mean, we talked about this, $1.7 trillion of student debt. 40% of these kids didn't even graduate from college. 50% of the money is the default deferment, some sort of delayed payment. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're upside down in Social Security. We're upside down in Medicare. Uh, we've made a huge mess. Where is the ultimate scapegoat? And that's Trump. I mean, that, that is the macro of all macros, that Donald Trump is the ultimate scapegoat. He's the guy that we've got to figure out a way to blame everything on. He didn't cause any of this, but he's such a controversial and, and polarizing political figure. We could pin everything on him. If we If we thread the needle exactly the right way, they'll be mad with him and not us. I mean, Trump hadn't screwed the government up. I mean, some wanted him there, some didn't want him there, but nobody can argue that Donald Trump broke the mold of government. Donald Trump didn't bring Washington to its knees. I mean, expose some of these things, but but I think the grand strategy, and I do believe there is a grand strategy at play here, and I think the grand strategy is to convince the American people that we had this thing handled until Trump got here. I mean, he's the he's the guy that brought about all this. Um you know, confusion and disarray and and conflict and confrontation. I mean, you know how you know how things were before he got here i'm I'm, I'm speaking as they would speak. I mean, none of that carries the day. none of that makes any sense. But the American people aren't very smart. and some will fall for that. about half the country is already fallen for that. But, but Louis Vuitton, I mean this is such an interesting story. what if what if another person or another business does this? And then another, and another, and another, and another. What if, um, what if the restaurants around town got together and said, hey, man, the government closed us down. We're not paying the bill. We don't feel we owe it. We're not paying it. The one thing government can't do is govern without money. They simply cannot. Where do the people in government get paid? With tax dollars, period. So so if Louis Vuitton sets an example, you know, we don't owe you 42000 because the money we were paying – we simply didn't get the services. Why should we pay for something and a service that we're not receiving? The, the, the sad part of all this, and we'll take a break, Maya, hear the music. Sad part of all this, it took a luxury French <laughs> retailer to step out and do it first. I wow. I would have been not Remington, Browning, you know, Red Man Chewing Tobacco, <laughs> Budweiser. I mean, that, that, those are the companies I would have expected to have a little more Americana in them than Louis Vuitton. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Thursday morning, as always, a time of the day we set aside for great television. Senior National Editor, White House Correspondent, John Decker. John is with us again this morning. John, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great today. Ken, hope you're doing well and having a nice week as well. We are. Thank you very much. So one thing I'll make a pledge. I, I'm kind of an original America firster. I'm unapologetically an America firster. I think I understand the goodness. In America first but the one thing I've never done is ask anybody for money in, in the name of America first or securing some of the um out of some of the realities or political pol- I don't know political issues that um, kind of breathe life into this political movement um, I've always been concerned about those who do try to raise money and gain personal wealth on the back of a political movement one that is in the news is I guess an original member of the band Steve Bannon was with Trump from day one when this political movement became a reality. He has some pretty serious legal trouble. What all is going on there, John?
6: Well, you may recall that he was charged with uh, a fundraising fraud scheme during the Trump years. And in the waning hours of the Trump administration, the former president pardoned Steve Bannon uh, as it relates to those federal charges. Today, he will be arraigned. In a New York State uh, courtroom uh, related to state charges uh, as it relates to that same fundraising scheme. He is accused of personally pocketing a million dollars from a We Build the Wall campaign. This was a private effort to build a wall on the southern border with Mexico, and none of that money went towards uh, building that wall. Uh, in fact, Uh, He was charged, along with three other co-defendants, two of which have already been convicted of federal crimes. One uh, of those co-defendants had their case uh, end up in a hung jury, and now Steve Bannon uh, will face these state charges uh, related to this same particular fundraising scheme.
0: Sound like an elected official to me, duping donors into believing they're going to do something <laughs> in, the name of, uh, in the name of campaign realities. Okay, let's shift gears and go to Mar-a-Lago. Sure. Um, we had a special master appointed. Uh, Bill Barr is now saying that he thinks they're at the precipice of an indictment. Uh, what are you hearing inside the Beltway?
6: Well, that's uh, the former attorney general. Um, That being said, you know, it's speculation. Even uh, by the former attorney general of the United States, he's not familiar with all the evidence that uh, the federal government, the DOJ, the FBI has already accumulated uh, beyond what was uh, seized at Mar-a-Lago. So it's speculation. I'm not going to go down the path of speculation. I've said before, I I think that the lawyers who – swore that all of the documents had already been turned over to the DOJ. They are in uh, possible uh, legal jeopardy as it relates to being indicted. Uh, I don't know about the former president. We'll see where this goes. Uh, The former attorney general, Mr. Barr, has also suggested that the DOJ appeal that ruling by that uh, judge in Southern Florida, Uh, As it relates to the appointment of a special master, I don't think the DOJ is going to do that, however, because it's just going to delay their effort to continue their criminal investigation. They're going to be satisfied with uh, whoever is chosen as the uh, so-called special master neutral third party, and it will set back the criminal investigation by uh, about a month. A month and a half or so but it's not halting the investigation in any way whatsoever
0: John what are the concerning parts that it is but I, mean, I hate to look back and say this sounds like Russia collusion again but the Washington yeah. Post is reporting today leaks from the FBI why does that remind me of Russia collusion
6: well I'm I'm troubled by that too you know I, I read that story yesterday that appeared in the Washington Post uh, the only way a story like that appears is because of leaks someone Uh, leaked uh, information related to the criminal investigation uh, to reporters at the Washington Post. I'm I'm very familiar with one of those reporters, excellent reporter, and obviously he had a very good source. But I'm troubled by that. You know, there should be no leaks as it relates to uh, investigations being conducted by the federal government. And that's exactly what we've seen in drips and drabs. So far, as it relates to Mar-a-Lago, I, I, and the person who can stop the leaks is the Attorney General. He can just sort of lay down the law in the same way that Robert Mueller laid down the law to his scheme, don't leak. You know, keep things close to the vest, and that's what prosecutors should do. and And I, I would certainly hope they do that going forward.
0: Last point I want to make, or last uh, issue I want to raise, is President Biden plans to deliver remarks today uh, about this updated coronavirus vaccine.
6: Yeah, that's right. Uh, and he's going to talk about the availability of this vaccine. This deals with the Omicron variant. Uh, that's why that this, this new booster will even be more effective than uh, what has already been made available. And it's available as we speak uh, in you know, drug stores like CVS, Rite Aid, et cetera, all across the country. You can just book an appointment. So Uh, President Biden will speak about that today and you know we're fortunate to think about where we are today Ken versus where we were at this point two years ago I mean wow we are such in a different place and you you can think about going to a college football game you can think about you know doing all the things that we've been used to and that's all because of those vaccines so thank goodness for all the great scientists out there uh, who developed these vaccines.
0: Thank you John appreciate your time have a great weekend we will talk again hopefully next Thursday.
6: I look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Ken. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you very much. John Decker, who was a great television senior national editor, White House correspondent, and inside the belly of the beast. I mean, he's in the Beltway, and uh, Rev and I kind of joke around with one another about the questions. They wouldn't be the questions I'd ask. That They're not the, the interest I'm uh, consumed by, but but this kind of, you know, it's the drum beat of Washington. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the vaccine is wonderful. Biden is going to give some remarks about how, uh, much we've accomplished with the vaccine i don't want to diminish the work these scientists and and virologists and epidemiologists did i mean i'm not right. i'm not d- diminishing their work i mean of course they uh i mean i believe their intent was as sincere as the day is long you know i'm not so sure i believe in the pharmaceutical company's intent um n- now we're talking about you know recurring vaccine shots you know we have, it's like a flu shot well I mean, that's not a vaccine it's not the flu vaccine right stop calling it a vaccine but if you stop calling it a vaccine, that there's a certain funding mechanism that changes, and um, and it's not as streamlined and processed quite as quickly. Some of the FDA requirements uh, are, you know, uh, I don't want to say done away with, but they're they're far more streamlined in the name of a national emergency and vaccine ordinances and emergency declarations. But if we go back to calling it a uh, you know, a, let's call it a coronavirus shot, and we're going to have to have one every year. I mean, if we knew this is where we're at, it guys. I mean, everybody had to see the writing on the wall when it came to the vaccine and or the therapeutic agent. I mean, let's stop calling it a vaccine. It's a therapeutic agent that is somewhat effective, somewhat durable uh, in dealing with, with COVID. Uh, the way we got here, and we paid a hell of a price. I mean, we paid trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Uh, we basically mortgaged the future of our grandkids and great-grandkids. But who cares? Um, you know, we got it done today. And we're worried about, you know, the next drive through
1: or the next two-hour movie. We're not worried about 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years down the road. The the other topic from, uh, I mean, change your subject here, but the other topic from from John, the Steve Bannon story, I mean, that's the number one topic. Well, I mean, it's a a chance to take a shot at Trump. Right. I mean, that's what Washington sure is. Inside Washington. It's a chance
0: to take a shot
1: at Trump. I mean, I knew the story.
0: I read a little bit about it yesterday. Um, If you Google Steve Bannon today, Um, You're going to get stories about indictment, and they're going to be, I mean, I'd predict, uh, do it. I mean, Google Steve Bannon indictment or Steve Bannon um, scheme or scam or whatever. You're going to get a story from probably NPR, CNN, The New York Times, The Washington Post, some of the likely suspects. I mean, somewhere down the line, Bannon will get somewhat of a fair treatment, but it'll be fifth or sixth page. It'll be some article. I mean, it won't be The National Review. Here's the problem. Well, it's not a problem. Here's the reality. The Republicans have historically had some defense mechanisms in the media, but it was establishment. I mean, they had writers at the Wall Street Journal who ran some interference and in cover. They had writers at the New York Times and Washington Post. America First has nobody because America First wants to blow the model up. They're the game changer. That goes back to the ultimate scapegoat. I mean, America First is the first legitimate threat to the duopoly or the controlling of the duopoly. And that's why I said yesterday, and I'll say it again. Mitch McConnell would rather Blake Masters not win. I mean, that, that's bizarre to say, but mm-hmm. but I mean, he, he pulled a month's worth of funding out of Arizona. Uh, I'm hearing that Teal may make it up. I want to do this. I've threatened to do this for a week or two or three, and we've not gotten around to it. I want to kind of give you the post-Labor Day summation, um, kind of a synopsis of where I think we are. Um, the public polling, what I refer to as a summertime polling, means nothing. It's fraudulent. It's bogus. It's a scam. Um, it's you know it's a bigger scam than the COVID,
1: uh, COVID vaccine It's, it's shot. meant to influence donations. Of course right? it is. I
0: mean it's meant to influence the mindset of the electorate. It's meant to discourage or encourage donors. What um, we're starting to come to the realization now that you know the Republicans are going to win in North Carolina. The Republicans are going to win in Florida. The Republicans are going to win in Ohio. Re- remember uh, when Rachel Maddow found a poll that said uh, Jamie Harrison was even with Lindsey Graham and Cahaley called and said, if Jamie Harris beats Lindsey Graham, I'll never ask a polling question again in my life. But Rachel Maddow was on MSNBC saying, here's the, Here's how big a deal Donald Trump and the Republican, here's how big an issue Trump is for the Republicans. Lindsey Graham may get beat in South Carolina. There was never a chance that Lindsey Graham was going to lose to a Democrat in South Carolina, period. Never a chance. Lindsey could get beat in a Republican primary, but he's certainly not going to lose in a general election to to an African-American Democrat or any white Democrat, women Democrat. Um, it doesn't matter. But but, you know, the, the polling in the summer is trying. It's it's an attempt to set the table, Rev. It, it, it's to give this false narrative. And I mean, it's testing the waters to some degree. Hey, let's see if they'll believe they'll never believe South Carolina's in play. But let's see. Well, I mean, let's just send it out there. Go get us a poll. I mean, we'll pay you 25, 30, 40 grand. Go get us a poll that shows Jamie Harris and Lindsey Graham tied. So they go poll ninety percent ninety percent Democrats. I mean, if you look at some of the cross tabs and sub within the polling, it was a poll that included about eighty-three percent Democrats. Well, I mean, South Carolina hit an eighty-three percent Democrat. I mean, it's plus ten Republican. I mean, for every forty-five Democrats there are, there are fifty-five Republicans i mean that's a 10 percent margin that's a big deal but but they went and found a poll that would sell their soul to the devil and say okay we'll do that give us our 40 grand up front and we'll find people who voted in democrat primaries we'll heavily wait to poll that way that's what they're doing in florida i'm convinced that's what they're doing in georgia here's what's most encouraging to me in some of the special elections in some of the swing states we've had one in pennsylvania one in georgia I'm trying to think of the other state, not Arizona, uh, Nevada. I think has had a special election. I'm not as concerned. Alaska, everybody says, wow, Palin lost in Alaska. Palin has a lot of negatives in Alaska. I mean, she's a former governor who bailed on her job to become a celebrity. I get it. I mean, most of us would do the same thing. I mean, who who passes on the chance to be uh, on a presidential ticket? But, but she left a lot of bad will over there. I mean, people are real bothered by doing that um but that was one of these jungle primaries with ranked voting and i mean it's hard still to don't understand I mean, how it, that. Works. i don't think anybody does i mean it's an absurd way to do it but anyway it's it's a weighted way to, to get to a final conclusion but but here's what i paid attention to in in nevada in florida in georgia in particular those three states have had some special elections and the mail-in ballots are significantly less than they were in 2020. There, there's one district that had about uh, 2,800 mail-in ballots in the 2020 presidential, only had about 160. Now it's a special election, and it's not a presidential cycle, so you expect somewhat of a decline. It looks to me like some of these cities or some of these, some of these states have cleaned up some of that process. We're, we're not going to have absentee balloting like we did during COVID. We're not going to have unsolicited mail-in ballots. We're not going to have um, you know 100 or 200 or 300 ballots you know, dropped in a box by one particular, I mean, Dinesh D'Souza calls them mules, the 200 or 2,000 mules, call them what you'd like, but it's people that pick up ballot, ballot harvesting seems to be uh, in decline. And, And I don't think Philadelphia, I mean, I don't think Pennsylvania's done anything, but Georgia's done some pretty solid things on voting integrity. South Carolina's done some pretty solid things. We don't need to worry about South Carolina as much as we do, as we do Georgia. Arizona seems to me they've addressed. I mean, it's not going to be perfect and the liberals are going to work hard. I mean, as much as Zuckerberg spent last cycle, 435 or $40 million, I mean, my tabulation says the Democrats are spending about 800 million this election cycle, in the midterm, about 800 million in the name of um, voter suppression. In other words, the Republicans are trying to suppress the vote, we've got to do what it takes to make sure every person is allowed to vote under any circumstance imaginable but some of the state legislation I think is going to thwart the the influence of money. Soros is spending a lot of money. Zuckerberg is spending a lot of money. Again, they're spending more than they spent in 2020. I just think some of these red states have done a better job of disallowing the mail-in ballots and the unsolicited mail-in ballots, the chain of command, the signature match. Remember, they lessened the percentage. In other words, uh, in previous elections, the signature had to—I mean, there's a verification. I mean, it's some sort of—I um, guess it's an algorithm to some sort of way, Rev, but certain percentages have to match certain signatures, and 73 or 74% was the pre-described number. They changed that to about 47%. So it's a lot easier. I mean, in the way you and I would talk, G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip, a lot easier to forward someone's name on a ballot and declare that ballot valid. Uh, there's still going to be a lot of that. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to kind of go down this um generic congressional ballot, recent history of the generic congressional ballot, and where I think we are, where I think we're headed, and what I think the likely outcome appears to be. Back in a minute. 843 is our number. I want to get into some of these midterms and really determine by I mean this isn't the end all the be all end all, but it is somewhat of a um we can make certain assumptions based on some of these generic congressional ballots and what history says about right track, wrong track. Um, how do they feel about generic Republican, generic Democrat? Once again, the media is trying to tell you there's, a, um, there, there's kind of a resurgence of Democrat vote. I don't see it. I mean, I don't see anything in the legitimate numbers that suggest that. If people are beginning to find favor in the Democrats, the right track, wrong track number would move and the Biden approval rating. That's how I know these polls are rigged. I mean, there's no way the Democrat goes from, um, you know, b- being underwater by 20 points to being in a dead heat when it comes to, in other words, uh, 538, Nate Silver's site. I mean, it's real analytical the way he does it. Um, it would be probably as scientific as anybody's I've ever seen, but it's a lot of BS. I mean, it's a lot of confusion. And, you know, if you can't baffle them, with, I mean, if you can't convince them with brilliance, you baffle them with BS. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of that with the 538 side. But it's interesting. It's very interesting to, to kind of delve into his world and how he makes – um, these, um, these analysis, right? I not paying attention the to him a while back.
1: He seemed to get too political as well, I mean, far as op- opinions. Well, he's very pa-
0: political. Well, he's paid by ABC news. I mean, ABC news pays him a lot of money and, you know, he does kind of what ABC news needs to have done. Um, but, but if you look at, so we're going to have a red wave because inflation and Biden's cognitive, I mean, his cognitive decline. And you know, I mean, a lot of things were going the Republicans way. And then one day we wake up and Trump enters the fray. And the numbers just completely and totally stop and they start turning the other way. The Democrat resurgence. I mean, I heard this from the New York times and why there's nothing in the analytics that show that there's nothing about the generic ballot. There's nothing about the right track, wrong track. There's nothing about Biden's approval ratings. That's how I know that the majority of these polls are rigged. It's a scam. It's not to find out where the electorate really lean. It's instead to discourage participation, discourage the giving of money to political candidates all over the country. I know I sound whimsical when I say this, but it's what I refer to as country time. Excuse me, summertime polling. It's just it, there's much ado about nothing. If the Democrats were making kind of a resurgence in the poll, you would see it in Biden's numbers. You see it in right track, wrong track. You don't see any of that. None of that is reflective. And, um, and I've concluded... Let's go to the phone. Somebody's there, and then we'll jump back in this. Scott's in the
1: PD. Hello, Scott.
7: Hey, y'all. You know, I, not to kind of pull you off subject there, because I'm kind of with you, and I mean, the reality is... And, and it's sad, because we're in a day and age where we have so much technology that if you do your homework, you can find things out. But if you turn on that TV and turn to ABC, CNN... I don't even care if it's Fox News, and you believe an ounce of what any of them people say. There's more truth that comes out of your mouth, Ken, on this radio show than comes out on every single network every single day. You tell more truth in five minutes of this program than they'll tell all freaking week on those shows, and that's really sad that we've allowed our media to put false narratives out there false accusations out there, you know, even to the point of the climate stuff. I mean, there's no proof whatsoever that we're on a heat wave because of global warming. But they'll shove that crap down our throats. And if you don't do your homework, then it's on you. But we've got to try to figure out how to get American people to pick your phone up, investigate it for yourself, take the time to know what's right, and wrong, or maybe it might just be a gray area. No one's really telling a lie, but no one's really telling the truth. But for whatever reason, that's out there. And I got one other quick question off off topic. We had a judge say that the electric chair, which obviously the first time we used it was 1912. So over 110 years is cruel and unusual punishment. And once it's stricken from our, our ability to take somebody who murdered somebody whether it be with a gun or what i mean we gave somebody a choice who didn't give anybody a choice when they killed somebody what in the world is going on when those that got killed way too young or way too old whatever the ability to continue to live and breathe when they don't have that opportunity where's their justice
0: thank you scott appreciate that that's an interesting point and i was going to delve in that with the delegation Uh, tomorrow somebody made i think it might have been jim made the comment of you know south carolina is a very conservative state with a not so conservative supreme court i've tried to find rankings i've reached out to a couple of friends of mine to tell me where to look about the rankings of judges and how we score i mean, the heritage foundation does some of this the cato institute the cato institute uh, they do some of this but A lot of people in South Carolina believe there's a disconnect. Once again, we've had a lot of debate on this show about how to elect judges or not to elect judges. Um, I don't know of a perfect way. I I mean, I honestly don't. I mean, I don't like the way we do it. I don't know that I like electing much better. I probably do like it a little better. I mean, if someone's going to make a mistake, I'd rather be the public than the General Assembly. But um, is there a hybrid model? I mean, is there a better way... But, but somebody made the insinuation, I think it was Jim, that, um, that we're a very conservative state with not such a conservative um, South Carolina Supreme Court. And there was a ruling made by the court about the electric chair and the firing squad. Um, I'm, I'm fairly pragmatic there. I mean, I get the, the argument of, you know, why give them a choice when the person they killed or murdered did not have a choice. That is a very sound philosophical argument. I mean, that's a fair point. To debate, um, but, but the, the, the politics of the capital—I mean, the politics of the death penalty—does it really matter? I mean, I, you know, I don't know: lethal injection, firing squad, electric chair. As long as someone is put to death, does it really matter? Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. You know, there's always there will be resistance, and there'll be people that go along. I mean, at the beginning of coronavirus, there were people who were skeptical. Uh, of what the government was doing and then there were those who were just absolutely conv- convinced they knew what they were doing they were doing the right thing i have found in my um plundering around in my you know relationships universe of friends normally business guys I mean, the, the majority of people i associate with are business guys they don't know what to believe now it's like two years and a half down the road we're more confused now than we were uh, at the beginning david dodd is geofax chairman and ceo currently working on A vaccine for the coronavirus. He's with us this morning, David. Good morning. How are you? Good
8: morning. Good morning. Doing
0: fine. So so, so is it fair to I mean, do do you understand somebody who is an expert in the field? Most of us aren't. Is it understandable how confused the general public have become about the effectiveness, the durability, what works, what doesn't work? What do we need to do? What don't we need to do?
8: It's very understandable. Unfortunately, Uh, I think people have become so confused with the flow of information and this recent announcement, just the other day, of the approval of a booster based solely on on rather limited animal data, rather than going through the rigorous process that's so always been used before of of, of testing it in, in humans and taking clinical trials, I think that just further uh, heightens the concerns and you know anxiety among individuals.
0: But but David, has so, so I guess the frank, candid question: Has politics corrupted the science of medicine?
8: Well, I don't know. And obviously, given that I, I interact with the government on an ongoing basis, I'm very cautious on expressing personal views. But what I would say is I, I do believe uh, at the end of the day, the intentions are there to ensure that there are safe and effective vaccines that can be utilized. And I think there is a concern in some quarters about speed and, and probably demonstration of doing something. And And, and yet what we have is – is uh, the confusion out there in the general public more than half, are not, or re- not taking the boosters, not taking additional boosters, and and when you hear that that the basis of a decision, albeit made with with good intentions and with some uh, you know level of rigor from a scientific discussion, but it's not a public discussion. Uh, that approval of the boosters and encouragement of taking those boosters that were only tested in animals uh, does raise some obvious concerns.
0: I'm not a chemist, not a scientist, not a virologist, not an epidemiologist, but, but I have a responsibility to an audience four hours in the morning to try and pass along information that I perceive to be accurate and interesting. Have we redefined what vaccine means? Because at the beginning of this, I mean, I made the assumption, probably as a layperson, that vaccine implied immunity and now it seems the vaccines are treated more as a therapeutic agent they reduce the likelihood that they may the outcomes the, the the health events that you have if you are vaccined and boosted i mean is that a fair conversation to have um have we or have we not changed the definition of what exactly a vaccine is
8: well, you captured it uh, in an excellent manner. It has occurred, and it's the result of uh, the, the current authorized vaccines, largely the mRNAs, the Pfizer, the Moderna ones, are based upon a technology that, that is not what traditionally we would consider a vaccine. When we heard the news in November of uh, 2020 that 94 95% effectiveness, we all interpreted that. Uh, appropriately so that that meant that 94 or 95 out of 100 people who would receive the vaccine would not get COVID, and and uh, that worse it would last. They were telling us maybe a year. Uh, we learned that that was maybe three to four months instead of a year, and that it really didn't mean uh, the immunity against it. It it meant some level of raising antibodies, but the immune system. The human immune system is sort of to think of it as two sides. We talk about the antibody side, which is what everything is focused on with the current authorized vaccines, but there's also the T cells or the cellular immunity. And that's what drives the robustness, the breadth of protection, and durability of, of immune responses. And that's what you're touching on. You want a vaccine that is broad in terms of its immune response, not only a quick antibody effect but also gives you lasting durability, hopefully for, for a year. And that's how the, the, the vaccines that we've designed and that are currently in human clinical testing are, are designed specifically to address both sides of the immune uh, of the immune uh, system as opposed to just the single one and so that's why they're somewhat referred to as the next generation because they're a little more complicated they take more time but they are very uh, useful from what we've seen On not only doing the same job that you see with the current ones of affecting the antibody response which is what you want for quick protection but they also have a very strong effect on the on the cellular immune side, hitting T cells, targeting specifically to give you durability and robustness. And we're hoping to demonstrate a more durable and more robust protection than what you're seeing with these current vaccines, specifically for people who have deficient immune systems. Think of dialysis patients. Think of people who are dealing with ca- blood cancers. They're, they're all very weakened immune systems. you think of people who have sickle cell anemia, anemia. So these are people that need something far beyond what is currently out there. And it's clear that they're not being uh, adequately protected for sure. And that's what we're testing for right now. We're doing a direct comparison of our vaccine versus the Pfizer vaccine, specifically among individuals who are dealing with blood cancers. And we're doing that to demonstrate that a more robust, more durable protection is what is really important for these populations.
0: That's very well explained. Very well explained. Last question. Appreciate your time. David Dodd, Geofax chairman and CEO. They're currently working on a vaccine for the coronavirus Did we give herd immunity or natural immunity as much play as we probably should have? I mean, I get the warp speed, and I understand all hands on deck. We've got a national emergency. We've got to address it in the most aggressive fashion imaginable. But it seems to me in what I've read, what I've learned, some of the doctors I've spoken with, we neglected the fact and reality of natural immunity, which eventually would lead to herd
1: immunity.
8: Yeah, I think we downplayed that. I think there's great value in natural immunity. I think it's easy looking back. We all know that. Sure. Monday morning quarterback, et cetera. And I and I think, I honestly believe that people were well-intended, but I think we gave a short shrift to say at least for, for the value of natural immunity. And I think that is very important and plays a very important role and perhaps equally important what we were looking for. I think there was such a fear, a concern, and a feeling that we just need to go as fast as we can to get something that will at least give a you know, throw a, a quick wall up, so to speak, to sort of stop it and maybe have an impact. And I think there was probably true recognition among the, the, the it was never disclosed for people who had not taken the vaccine, that this is not the end all. And it was presented as the end all, as you well know. And that's created this sort of lack of uh, trust and and uh, following following recommendations
0: now. David, you should have been the one talking to America. Thank you very much for your time, sir. <laughs> Thank you.
8: Have a great day.
0: You do the same. I mean, that's I mean, to, to me, that's a five minute illustration. I mean, that you find that guy believable, refreshingly honest. I mean, no question about it. Hey, there, there are some things that we know and some things we don't know, and and I think you know if you if if you had allowed somebody like David Dodd to stand before America and say, look we're trying to work through this thing in the most effective fashion imaginable, but there are a lot of things we don't know that there are a lot of things. I mean, this, this vaccine may be highly effective and durable. It may not, but, but we had politically motivated people who wanted to be God for a day or two or three and wanted to be the center of the universe, the epicenter of American politics and and political persuasion. and, And that's what we got. And we got out of it more confusion. Um, I would ask anybody this question. Did you trust, do you trust your government more today than you did before you ever heard of coronavirus? I mean, I trust it much less. I mean, I didn't trust it much to begin with, but I trust it even less now because Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci and, you know, some of the, um, I mean, let's be honest, some of the Republicans, I mean, this was not a partisan effort. Donald Trump blinked. I mean, I've said it 100 times on the radio, and and I'll stick to my guns. His biggest supporter, and as much as I believe he was a good president, at uh, that moment in time, and I get it. I mean, I understand that. It will be easy to blink in that moment, especially for a real estate developer. Being told about virology and epidemiology, I mean, it's easy to say, look, I mean, uh, we, we got to trust these people that have been here forever, um, and, and I think Fauci's not to be trusted. I don't know about Burks. I mean, I, I don't know what her political motivations were, but but Fauci wanted to be king for a day. I mean, he enjoyed the limelight. He enjoyed the spotlight. He enjoyed, you know, everybody depending on whatever it was he had to say. I mean, he was full of himself. And, you know, the the assuredness he gave the American people about this vaccine, I mean, he he was just dishonest. I mean, let's be honest, guy. He was completely and totally intentionally dishonest. David Dodd just said there were some things we knew and some things we didn't know. If David Dodd has stood by Trump, As you know, as an American president, and said what he just said to us, the majority of us can live with what we endured and what we went through. But Fauci, Fauci wanted to be king, and the political leadership didn't have any understanding of virology or epidemiology. This guy was kind of an institution within an institution, and out of that came just grave mistakes and huge errors that that we're paying a tremendous price for. I mean, it's not like okay, we got the shot wrong. The shot was not as effective and durable as we thought it was going to be. We destroyed livelihoods. I mean, we changed the landscape of the American economy forever. I mean, the American economy will never, ever be the same because Dr. Fauci implemented certain restrictions, certain guidelines, certain provisions, convinced political leadership to do certain things in the name of public safety that were reckless and careless and dangerous and forever damaging to the American economy. I mean, I don't know anybody that has hurt the American economy as much as Dr. Fauci has in my lifetime, and I mean that sincerely. And to those who were so, uh, I mean, I've said this before, and I say it a little bit sarcastic and tongue-in-cheek, but, but for those that said I was on the fringe to begin with, I mean, that, that you, you know the people. I mean, we had several emails, several calls, several visits from people who said, Ken, you have an audience. Your, your audience has a certain trust in you. Um, they believe you do your work. You when you speak over the air, you 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 sound like you know what you're talking about. You, you've got to tell these people to go get vaccinated. I mean, you're being irresponsible. You're being negligent. You're being dangerous in not encouraging this family that that we have and gather together with every morning. You, you're being. I mean, it's dangerous what you're doing. You've got to tell these people who don't know any better to go get vaccinated. And I remember exactly what I told her. There's no way in this world I would ever say over the air, go get vaccinated because it's in your best interest. I didn't know, still don't know. I mean, I have strong reservations today about the effectiveness and durability. Even, uh, I mean, they, they've made some mistakes. I don't think they've made it anywhere near as many as they made. I mean, they have tried to be a little bit humble. You know what I mean? Uh, but, but, but you know, somebody, like, well, I mean, somebody like David Dodd, but I like what he said. Hey, I interact with the government. I want to be careful what I say. That's honest. I mean, that's being very, very sincere. Um, I would imagine GeoFacts probably has some government contract. I mean, they've probably got an R&D grant, you know, for their scientists and their virologists and epidemiologists to go to work. Um, nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think there's a role that government plays in public safety. Uh, we've got a CDC and an NIH, and I get all that. We, we probably don't need somebody like Anthony Fauci ever running it again I mean we don't I mean we sent. we don't know that we don't need a a political wannabe and that's what he is he's a guy that's never run for office but always has wanted to I'm convinced of that I mean he's got this God complex the brighter the lights the more control he believes he has and the more consumed and drunk he gets with that unbelievable amount of power that we gave to him who has never had a single vote cast in his name never appointed years and years and years and years ago to a job that most of us believe would never matter in a million years how we ran our business, how we live our lives. Um, I've heard of the CDC. I've heard of the NIH. I won't cross paths with them because I try to stay healthy and live my life under certain terms and conditions. But, um, but yeah, I think if David Dodd or somebody like David Dodd addressed the country and, and began by saying there are some things we know there are a lot of things we don't know, but together we're going to try to give you advice to give you opinions that are genuinely in your best interest, not in Pfizer's best interest, not in Johnson and Johnson's best interest, not in Moderna's best interest, not in the, you know, uh, the, the, the Wuhan virology lab, you know, the, um, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're, we're not sure about anything and we're, we're, we're willing to admit that, but together We're going to get answers we're going to get to a better place right now here's what we believe right now we think this is the best but but i'll tell you what one of the proudest things that i've done over the air is to not give in to that because i think it would have been reckless careless and irresponsible for me to tell you our listeners go get vaccinated it's in your best interest i was convinced if you were 80 and diabetic go get a vaccination go get a vaccine no doubt about it if you're over the age of 65 and medically impaired, got some serious issue kicking, go get the vaccine. But but if you're under the age of 55 and somewhat healthy, I think you were taking as big a risk by going to get the vaccine as you were by not. And that sort of conversation
1: was never allowed to happen in any they media. They you, you better believe it. And, and shame on those. And the President of the United States. I mean, obviously, people lost their jobs, but he would, you know, remember the winter of death for the unvaccinated? Shame on those who didn't allow those very important conversations to take place. Let's go to the phone. Jim and Sumter listening to WDXY. Hi, Jim.
9: Hey, uh, I agree with everything you're saying, Ken. And I, wa- I want to make an analog here. Um, in the video game industry, especially out of left field, um, there's always... Two different sides to the story. You have the corporate side where you have the publishers and they want to rush the game out. They set a deadline. They say, hey, you know, the public expecting this. And then you got the programmers who are saying, you know, this thing isn't totally ready. Um, we need more time. And then they get into this crunch time where they're working 80, 90 hours a week to try to get the game out on time. And guess what? They release a game. It's broken. They didn't do the proper testing. They didn't have a whole bunch of game testers come in and say, oh, well, there's a thousand bugs with this thing. And then they spend the next six months trying to fix it. Meanwhile, the public just purchased a product that is completely broken and unplayable. And I think that that's similar to what happened with Warp Speed. There wasn't enough testing up front, and that surely led uh, to the, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt around vaccines as a whole. But I think all of this was predictable just based on the, you know, the track record of flu vaccines. Um, And I said this in March of 2020 on my YouTube channel. Um, If you look at at, at, at flu vaccines, what happens every single year? They come out with a vaccine and then the very next year they say, you know, the the flu has now uh, mutated we need to give you a different version of it and there, therefore i don't take flu vaccines. Now i understand people in at risk risk groups really need um to have that especially the elderly the um, immune weakened um but at the same time you know that it's only a temporary solution and natural immunity is always going to trump that if you don't, if you don't have that natural immunity if you have a weakened immune system i i fully understand. But any time, like, um, you know, Dr. Dobbs was just saying, if you don't do the proper testing and you get some kind of long-term data in humans, we're always going to end up in this situation when it comes to medicine. I, I think politicians have no business rushing something that is this important. Thank you, Ken. Well
0: explained. That's very well explained. Very thoughtful. That's a good analogy, you know, to talk about the video game. And I, and I believe this. I think the American public are patient. And I think the American public are reasonable by and large. I think if, if somebody like David Dodd had come to the American public and said, look, it normally takes us a decade to do this. We try to do it in a year. Take that into account. I mean, what, what we've done in a year normally takes 10 years. That There are probably some things we missed. There's some data we've not collected. That There's some decisions that were made based on a much smaller set of, of data samples than normal. I think the American public understand that. And then your risk tolerance comes into play. Now, how willing are you to take the vaccine under those circumstances? But we were not told that. We were not. I mean, this is the best vaccine in the history of mankind. And you are a fool to not let us shoot this experimental drug in your arm. That's a pretty absurd way to think about it. But that's where we were. I mean, we were administering an experimental vaccine almost forcefully on the American people. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go
1: there. JT in Florence. Morning, JT. Good
10: morning, guys. How are you? Hey, JT. Uh, so one thing that always bugged me when it got toward the end of all of uh, these discussions when it comes to the COVID vaccine and Fauci specifically, if your job is to help convince the public to do something and enough data is present that says you're you are actually harming the effort i would say if if my purpose was to help make this more palatable then why not step aside and say listen if if people don't trust me let's let's have somebody else who you do trust or or a panel of people or somebody come in here because obviously, I've become a story that's, that is um, detrimental to my overall goal. But instead, it was, it was a defiance uh, above all that. Does that make sense? I it's mean, a I, defiance it knows- and an
0: arrogance. I mean, it, it was an arrogance. I mean, it is defiance, no question. But it was centered on an arrogance he had about there's no way I can be wrong. If about said, I, I sorts- am science. I'm science. If you argue with me, you're arguing with science.
10: So I mean, to me, it's just uh, there's no self awareness of if what you're saying is I'm here to help the public be safer, um, but you're actively hurting that effort. And it's not like he's a you know young guy in his thirties with you know a couple of babies at home. or I mean, the guy is, is well well taken care of. He would be fine to step aside and say listen. But because he didn't do any of that, to me, it just revealed the real motive behind it, and it was ego. It was that's my feeling anyway. I don't know if anybody feels that way. I did want to just say, well, I, I was call, trying to call earlier when you were talking about the home and home with BYU, and um, you were busy, which is good. I just wanted to call and ask this. Truthfully, um, Ken, I, w- I would imagine that all those processes should be well set up and governed you know, or or in place by the state already. In other words, if you're going to create a home and home or if you're going to... Um, basically enter into a contract with other institutions with interstate, you know, implications, there should be a process around both doing that or getting out of that. So, in other words, I I remember football has canceled some home-and-homes because other games became available and they were more lucrative and we had to buy out that deal or whatever. I guess what I'm trying to get at simply to me is I just – I don't blame the coaches for any – I shouldn't blame the coaches, in my opinion, if there's a process in place to do it or not. I get what you're saying is that could she have unduly uh, influenced it? That's the question people are asking. And if she did, then that's an issue. But um, at the end of the day, it's not the coach's job to come up with the policy. And I know you agree with this. I'm just just saying it's not the coach's job to come up with a policy of how to make or get away from a home-and-home. She can have her opinion and she can say and doing what she's doing is good for recruiting because she's a players coach so you know my players aren't going to feel comfortable in this environment if all this is true so i don't want to play there but it it shouldn't be her responsibility and and to your point earlier it it doesn't really matter at the end of the day um in terms of a decision point if she feels uncomfortable it can play into the whole conversation of the policy and and the procedures that they go through. But I I don't know why she should be held responsible for something if indeed there's entire policies and procedures around it that govern the use of it. And and it's not really up to her simply to say that. That's just my two cents. But anyway, hope you have a great day. Thank you,
0: J.T. But the key line there is, I mean, if, if this particular situation occurred, I mean it's not been corroborated there's more there's more belief dispute. out there's no evidence but there's more belief out there amongst some of the media um, that the 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 event never occurred and Don Staley reacted to something that, that couldn't be corroborated couldn't be substantiated it was a um, it was reported that someone said a racist comment or remark the the point I try to make earlier and I'll reiterate this point Don Staley is as good a women's basketball coach as there is in America She's not the face of the University of South Carolina. And Don Staley cannot unilaterally cancel a series between her Lady Gamecocks and the BYU women's basketball program, or should be able to do that. Well, once again, the way it happens in my world, and I'm a business guy, the way it happens in my world, um, you confer. You have counsel. You, you take comments you investigate you find out whether that did happen or not if it did happen then the university has a decision to make you review the contract what stipulation allows you to breach the contract what stipulation forces you to maintain the contract do you call byu and say hey our women's coach doesn't want to go out there i know the contract says x but we're not coming let's negotiate some amicable resolution in relation to said contract the concern i have is it appears to me the women's basketball coach at South Carolina based her opinion on something that she could not corroborate, she could not substantiate, and the university's athletics department went along with it. That's alarming to me. That's deeply concerning to me. Now, Now, once again, if it's corroborated, if it's substantiated, the university collectively then has a decision to make. But right now, it's he said, she said. It's not been proven that the event reported actually happened. And we've already got a basketball series that has verbally been canceled. I would imagine there'll be litigation. I have no idea what BYU will do. I have no idea what the BYU campus police Department is doing. But that I mean that's a little bit different to me. and and once again, the, the reason is a political matter. The South Carolina General Assembly wrote a letter to the University of South Carolina yesterday asking for several questions to be answered. I think they're very appropriate in asking those questions because it is the flagship university, it's a publicly funded university that owes the taxpayer of this state uh, an ironclad and definite answer. Um, is Ryan with us now? Okay, we're running a bit behind here, but Ryan Schmills is with us. Ryan, good morning, how are you? Good morning, thank you for having me on. Absolutely, let's shift gears and go to a Washington Post report saying the FBI has, a I, I belief that documents taken from Mar-a-Lago contained foreign nuclear secrets. I got a level with you as somebody outside the beltway. Anytime I hear the FBI and Washington post in the same sentence, I just start kind <laughs> of, oh, I don't know about this. I've, I've heard things like this before in days gone by. What say you Ryan?
11: Well, you know, in this case, we're talking about a, a someone who spoke to the Post uh, with the, with who was anonymous, and it was somebody who was apparently familiar with the matter. But what they're alleging is that there were documents taken from the home that had uh, classified information that's so top secret that only a certain group of people within the government uh, know about it, and even some of the highest-ranking members of of the State Department, the military, and the president's cabinet are even kept in the dark about it. And and when they are given access to this they have to have a go through a, a clearance process between the president and only a couple of people who can grant it so it's it's a pretty substantial claim and and it, you know this is this is being considered a leak by Trump's
0: legal team so this is being considered a Trump a leak by Trump's legal team not the FBI
11: that was well a leak was kind of one of the words that was thrown out by one of Trump's lawyers um yesterday and he pretty much uh, claimed it was you know, a, a fighting against the truth and, and was no, had no respect for the the legal process. So uh, take with that what you will.
0: So, Ron, how do we get to the bottom of this? I mean, if Trump had in his possession foreign nuclear secrets in a, in a basement or a or a closet with other, I don't know, with with passports and all the, I mean, what what do we? How do we get to the bottom of this? And what role will a special master play in addressing this particular uh, leak and report by the Washington Post?
11: Yeah, well, well, when you talk about getting to the bottom of this, well, you know, it looks like we might be getting our answer uh, through the special master. At least that's what that's what I think the general public hopes. That was kind of the point of getting to special master here in the first place. But you know, we have the special master process, and then that special master will review these documents, and then we're going to probably find out through that, uh, or or not whether or not these these documents were classified or not, and and kind of see if these this report that came out yesterday was was in fact uh true
0: ryan can the doj oppose the judge's decision to appoint a special master can they contest that decision
11: Yeah, they can file an appeal but you know we're one day out from when the deadline is for them to submit the nominees who they want to see as the special master so i do think an appeal is still possible here uh but the doj hasn't really given us any indication whether or not that's going to happen or not
0: very interesting ron thank you for your time have a great day absolutely thank you ran a little bit behind there i think we had Ryan scheduled for eight mm-hmm. um you, you're a gamecock fan i want to go back to this for a second uh we'll get back to mar-a-lago and nuclear secrets and you know all this other baron's clothes and millennials' clothes <laughs> and whatnot i mean i you know it is what it is i mean it's the washington post and the fbi right. and the trump legal team i mean how many times have we heard the fbi washington post and trump legal team um since donald trump rode down the escalator <laughs> I think, I think I began hearing the words Washington Post, FBI, and Trump's legal. I, I certainly lean. don't
1: trust the Washington Post, and I don't trust the FBI. Well, I mean, but, but think about in, this, in this. context, now. but for let's sure. cut the
0: Washington Post a little slack. You ready? If the Washington Post has somebody from the FBI or Trump legal team, for that matter, leaking information, certainly you expect them to put it in the in the publication. Of course, of course. I mean, that's their job. I mean, they've kind of hit the jackpot. If somebody from the Trump legal team or from the FBI choose to leak this sort of information. But, but Merrick Garland said there was going to be no leaking. I mean, you know, he talked a lot huh. about days gone by and administration's gone by, leaks and all this. Um, I mean, there's an attempt to try, and here's what I think is going on. I think the special master is going to be controversial because the DOJ will not drive the train alone. I mean, they'll still have a big hand. They'll lead the investigation. They'll still thoroughly vet what, what he had and what he didn't have. But now you've got somebody looking over their shoulder. So to me, they're preempting. That they're trying to preempt the eventual narrative that the special masters in control by making as dastardly a charge as they possibly can by donald trump i mean when 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 the casual consumer political news hears the word foreign nuclear secrets you turn the radio up a bit i mean if you're driving down the road you've heard the trump stuff you've heard the the mar-a-lago raid you've heard the doj and the fbi nothing about that is real new and interesting but all of a sudden, somebody on the radio or on television in print publication, well, that's dead, uh, over the internet, when somebody says, you know, foreign nuclear secrets, or as George W. Bush would say, foreign nuclear secrets, <laughs> you, you <laughs> get a little bit alarmed. You know what I mean? It kind of gets your attention. Let me yeah. read that a little closer. Let me uh, turn that up a little bit a little bit louder. I want to come back to the issue. Uh, let's take a break. Don't want to drag it out too long. I want to come back and get Rev. Rev's a Gamecock fan. Mm-hmm um Rev's probably a bigger women's basketball fan than i am right eh, maybe yeah i, I mean, mean i, I, I appreciate I mean, I i'm a little appreciate. bit i'm a little
1: bit sarcastic about it. i mean you I, you I do it tongue in cheek yep. i mean go ladies I mean, go I, you know go ladies go they're, they're, <laughs> i'm happy when they win their right. national champions and i watch them when they get into the championships the and playoffs. they're really good so they're great but but i i predicted five years ago that if
0: you create dawn staley because she's really good i mean there, there's no doubt about it and the women's basketball program is as good as anybody in america but is that what you want to be as an SEC school? How many SEC schools are proud of their women's basketball program? One. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843 Let's go to the phone. Someone's
1: there. Neil in Sumter listening to WDXY. Hi, Neil.
12: Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, I uh, wanted to kind of see if I could put a couple topics on the docket for tomorrow with your legislators. Uh, two separate ones. One, I think I might have come up with a solution for your magistrate problem. Okay. And that would be that if you're because you we don't want to we don't want to get in the business of electing local judges. That's too much of a pain. But if you had it so your state senator uh, and, you know, with the majority uh, of the county, I understand the problem you all have up in Florence, state senator appoints. And then on the next ballot, the next two or four year ballot, that magistrate comes up for a straight yes, no vote, retain or not. The only question is, should magistrate so-and-so be retained? And then after that, every four years, a retention vote. That way the, that way the voters can get rid of them. Um, and if the voters you know, kick them out, then the, then the senator appoints another one. That way you still have a say, but you really don't have an election. At that
0: point. Neil, there's about six states that do something similar to that. Not, not exactly yeah. that, but something along
1: those same lines. That makes sense, though.
12: And the second thing um, to bring up, and you know, I know South Carolina is heading down the road of addressing abortion. And I've kinda, it, it's taken me some while to think about this. But those of us in the very red conservative states that are inclined to be more restrictive on abortion need to be cognizant of our role in the national debate. Because when a conservative state restricts abortion, when what, Mississippi chooses to shut down the one abortion clinic in their state, like literally there was only one there and they choose to shut it down, it's parroted throughout the national media. And it wasn't that long ago that we had Republican senators, whether we like it or not, we need Susan Collins. We we need Maine to send a Republican senator, or we would be in the minority right now. Um, you know, we used to have a Republican senators from I mean, for the last twenty years, New Hampshire, Vermont had a Republican senator at the same time they had Bernie Sanders, uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. We, as a you know, conservative state, need to think about our role in that national narrative, and I think the referendum is the best way because. You put it out there to the voters, if the voters come back and they say 60% want to restrict abortion to this level, then how can you argue with that? You can say, this is what our state wants. But if you do it via the legislature, and it just looks like a, a Republican majority of white males are forcing black females to have babies they don't want in South Carolina. I mean, let's face it, the national media paints it like that.
0: Sure. So, Neil, you're so, saying anyway, something so- similar to Kansas, something similar to what Kansas did.
12: Exactly. Okay. And you know what? I bet you. I bet you. Next time up, Kansas comes back with something else. They'll they'll come up with something different. They go, okay, we reached too far. Well, let's try this. And eventually, they will find that spot where the voters of Kansas are comfortable restricting abortion.
0: Yeah. Thank or you, Neil. Thank you, Neil. Appreciate that. You know, when you really break it down in Kansas, I mean, it's not this simple. It's much more complicated. But but it really is. I mean, I'm a fairly conservative Republican. I'm pro-life. I mean, I'm probably pro more pro-life. It's weird to say. I'm more pro-life today than I've ever been because as I've reviewed some of the technological advancements, some of the medical advancement, I'm convinced now that life begins at conception, and it's a it's a it's a human being much earlier than I ever imagined it was. I mean, life begins at conception. When is it a you know a human being? Um, I'm convinced it's much earlier now than we ever imagined, and that is the development of science and technology, and you know 4D imaging and ultrasounds and all these. Other sorts of things that I don't understand, but I'm not telling a woman who was raped she must carry that baby. I'm not telling a woman who was forced into an incestuous relationship she must have that child. I'm not telling that husband that we're not going to abort that baby despite your wife's life being in jeopardy. I mean, I just can't get there. I mean, I I, I respect those that that do. I'm not an absolutist on much of anything, and 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 I I so agree with Neil that if the debate becomes about you know, there, there are legislators in South Carolina who want to force a 14-year-old who got raped by a drug dealer to carry that baby to term. I mean, I, I get it's life. I mean, I understand that. But I don't have the judgmental duty. I've got a political duty to create policy that is tenable. And, and I, I just, for, for the life of me, I can see this train coming if we're not careful. Good old South Carolina. Take a break. Back in a minute. 8436610937. We got to get more consistent about music at certain times of the show. Yeah. I mean, at one time we were thoroughly committed. We were totally committed. And then we had this well, I had this um episode, you know, with uh with one of my musical heroes yeah. and you you enjoy that um, the 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 Facebook or Twitter meme going around. What <laughs> the
1: one where Bruce looks like Woody well, why Allen? Why do you laugh when you say I that? I just think it's funny. What's funny about it? Well, first of all, it's true this picture bruce springsteen looks exactly like woody allen with those round glasses look at freehold what's he doing But well, he's sitting there nodding his head i mean it's Can like he does i mean he looks
0: exactly like woody allen <laughs> so but that's but he's, why he's got funny. this funky
1: sweater on and he's weird designer glasses and um and he don't look like the the guy he's portrayed for all these years well I
0: mean, you he doesn't look like the guy that wrote born to run right right um so i bet i have had that meme forwarded copied and pasted to me probably a hundred times <laughs> since saturday <laughs> I Good. mean, everybody Good. that knows, you know, I was once a Springsteen fan. Um, but it's, every, I mean, it's like a chuckle. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> here, man, how stupid do you feel now? <laughs> um, he does look a lot like Woody Allen. He right. doesn't look like the guy that wrote Born to Run. I told Rev during a break earlier this morning, he may be coming out. I mean, he may, he may just finally be saying, I've always been this guy. I've never been the blue jean wearing, you know, shirts cut, sleeves cut out of the shirt, mm-hmm. singing about the working class um you know when, when i charge this dynamic pricing kind of revealed me for who i really am so yeah i'm You're wearing the uh, i'm wearing the cashmere sweaters and the designer glasses going to a because i think he was at a um equestrian meet <laughs> well, of course in he ireland has, he
1: has a daughter well i right, mean his it? daughter's on yeah. his daughter was an olympian with the uh equestrian team um so you, you cut ain't a, little... a lot of working folk on the equestrian right. team but you cut him a little slack yeah. i mean he's he's following and supporting but i daughter. mean did the horses swim the atlantic or were they transported <laughs>
0: in the atlantic uh, you know bruce probably picked up the tab there i would imagine um you know you, you wonder about this you and i were talking about a second ago um you wonder if bruce's daughter comes to him I mean, i'm not talking about springsteen mccartney or any of these other uber successful um different sorts of guys yeah, how normal they
1: are in what do you do you wonder, you, you wonder
0: if the daughter brings a bill to bruce and says hey dad they'll fly the horse over there but here's what it's going to cost yeah you wonder if the dad goes i'm paying that damn i mean I, you know i mean you know he has the money i mean without question he has the money which is wonder how real he gets right. you know what i mean how how authentic that interaction is or does somebody kind of handle that from yeah. from Just somewhere it that the I, I don't know yeah. but i don't have any clue about that yeah. i want to go back to something we touched on this morning and it didn't get much of a response and i still there are certain things that i'm convinced deserve more conversation than we give it. There's some things that I almost force you to have conversations about. Student debt. I mean at some point in time you listeners go, well, I mean if I'm gonna call the show, it's gonna be about student debt for the next two weeks, so that's all this son of a gun is going to talk about. You know what I mean? I mean he's pounding the gavel. I mean he is in I mean he is locked in on this mm-hmm. student debt. And if I'm going to participate in the show I listen to every morning then I better read a little bit about student debt and call in because this cat's going to talk about student debt until he doesn't talk about it anymore. Now we've not talked about it today because I realize we've beaten that dead horse. Uh, no pun intended. Nearly, <laughs> nearly to death. But um, but this Louis Vuitton. This is an I've had two lawyers text me this morning, listening to the show. Um, I'll go back real quick. Very a kind interesting of a, story. Um, the 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 reason this article is interesting to me is there are a lot of silent voices in finance. I'm not talking about the people on CNBC or CNN or Bloomberg or um, Fox Business. Those people are there because they tell everybody, we'll figure this out, we'll work it out. Um, The voices I'm talking about, these billionaires, the Peter Thiels of the world, You know, the Elon Musk of the world. You don't see those guys on CNBC or Fox Business very often. Bloomberg doesn't do many reports on them because they'll tell us how screwed we are. You know what I mean? They'll tell us that we're going to hell in a handbasket if we don't do some things to seriously address energy independence and, you know, the debt, the fiat currency, and all these other sorts of things. So CNN is not going to tell you the truth. MSNBC, Fox News is not going to tell you the truth. Fox Business is not going to let a guy come on the over the airwaves and say, we're done. I mean, there's nothing we can do about this. We're thirty one trillion dollars in debt. The Fed has printed twelve trillion in fiat currency as a result of COVID and some of the inflation reduction actions and some I mean, of the nonsense we've done. But these people are highly intelligent, highly educated and very successful in the in the financial economy. But they're 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 kind of um I mean they're dark, shadowy figures. I mean, they would be dark enlighteners oh. to some degree, um, and they're on YouTube a lot. They're on some of these um uh, zero hedge, you know the um the blog I read a lot. Everybody's life expectancy is zero, you know, a lot after a long enough period of time. What it is, long I, enough time? Yeah, enough. after a long enough period, of time, everybody's life expectancy goes to zero or something to that effect. And and you know, you call that doom and gloom, you call it negativity. I call it the mayor of Realville. I mean, there's a reality there that um that comes into play. So these people believe that, and I'm not talking about the Fox business crowd. I'm not talking about Liz Clayman or Maria Bartiroma. You know, I mean, they're doing their job and they're finding kind of sunshine pumpers to come on and say, everything's okay. I mean, the market will figure it out. It always does. Warren Buffett says, never bet against America. Um, well, I mean, he's 80 something, he's 90 years old. He got multiple billions of dollars. Why does he care? You know, but but most of us don't, most of us aren't. So we're trying to, uh, look into the future and what do we see and what do we feel and what do we sense and and what do we hope or anticipate to be true? so th- there there's a phrase that's fairly common amongst these there's not dark enlighteners because they've never expressed any political motivations. I mean the dark enlighteners, the cathedral, I mean you know that, that's kind of a um the dark enlighteners and their political motivations versus the cathedral and theirs. so there's a there, there's a body politic argument to be made in that these, um, people I'm talking about have never really expressed much of a political bias. I'm sure they have it, but they don't express it as passionately or as, um, as frequently as some of the others. But, but, but a lot of their narrative is as government becomes less reliable and less trusted, people will begin depending on their survival instincts. Dave Baker knows that he has to go play by the rules until the rules absolutely make no sense for him to contain, control, live his life as he thinks he deserves to live it. I mean, Reb will accept some regulations. He'll accept some rules. Some he likes, some he doesn't like. Sure. But we all kind of deal with that. I mean, it's the mush of life. And the body politic, city, county, state, federal government passes along orders and edicts. We don't like this one. we don't, But we don't have much of an option. We kind of got to play by those rules. These people are predicting that there will be a day sooner than later when people don't play by those rules. That when government becomes so unreliable, so untrustworthy, that, that you believe it threatens your security, your safety, your livelihood, uh, your, your wherewithal. Uh, I'll give an example. COVID came and, I mean, as a result of COVID, the government shut down people's businesses. I mean that was kind of a that that was a shot across the bow. I mean that that think about that. I mean the government puts an A on your door, a B on your door, a C on your door, they have the authority to do that. Um you know, you don't like it when they put a C on your door. How can one person have that authority? But but you've been conditioned to believe, okay, I mean that's just the way it is. I don't like it, but you know, they found some unsanitary, unsanitary um ones uns, my, my sanitation was not up to standard or, or, or this inspector's standard. And as a result, I got a B or C on my door. I promised I'd do better. The act will come back in a week. You, you see where I'm headed. I mean, the, the, the bartering with government has always been a part of the ordeal. But, but COVID came and the government said, we're not putting an A, B, C, or D on your door. We'll shut you down. And if you open, you going to jail. Remember the bar owner at the mm-hmm. beach. Uh, well, there ain't but one. <laughs> I mean, think about that. How many bar owners at the beach? Remember the bar owner of the beach, Rev? <laughs> Which one? Yeah. I mean, there's a million bar owners at the beach. But I know the one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know the one I'm talking about. They didn't send DHEC. They sent SLED to send a message. You're either going to do what we tell you to do or else. Well, I mean, that, that person had to be kind of gutsy to say to the government, I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm, I'm simply not going to shut my business down and and, and destroy everything I've ever worked for because – of, of things you aren't sure about. I mean, we had a conversation with a guy a second ago about, you know, the vaccine. Uh, imagine if you're a business owner and your, your business has been diminished by 30%, it's been devalued by 30%, and now we, we don't think the vaccine worked anywhere near as well as it did. We don't think social distancing should have been required. In other words, you did a lot of that, not for nothing, but you did a lot of that senselessly and needlessly. How do you feel about the government? You, you feel the government's less reliable it's less trustworthy and all of a sudden you believe that, that that I may do something out of the norm Well Louis Vuitton did this and here's the story I mean this is so interesting to me because I think this is the opening South I mean I, I do I think this is the beginning of we'll see more and more if a French luxury retailer has the nas to do it then then certainly somebody else does right? I mean, certainly there's an American— I would hope so. I mean, you you always—I mean, I I knew this would eventually happen at some point in time. You thought it'd be the Cowboys. I thought it would be, yeah. I mean, I thought it'd be the manufacturers of Jefferson's Ocean, you know, or Jim Beam, or Budweiser, or uh, Browning, or, you know what I mean, somebody like that. I mean, I I imagine it would be one of these rough and rugged American companies that, that kind of embody the American spirit. You know, this Bud's for you. Browning you know the the passing down of firearms from one generation to another but no we had to wait on because we're woke and we're privileged and we're you know conditioned to conform so we had to find a a luxury french retailer maybe that's the sad commentary on america that the first company to do this is a luxury french designer or french retailer louis vuitton was a designer he did now um but his name carries on so here's what happened um Louis Vuitton, during the Portland riots, had $300,000 worth of merchandise stolen. They had $500,000 of damage done to their business. It's a high-end retailer. No question about it. I mean, if you're a crook, criminal, thug, you're going to break in. I mean, why steal a $20 pocketbook when you can steal a $3,000 pocketbook or $2,000? When I saw the price online this morning, I actually Googled Louis Vuitton purse, and it was $2,850, first Ooh. one I saw. I thought it had money in it right you know, i mean that's empty let me look at it again that was an empty pocketbook. okay um there's a reason that uh my wife doesn't have a louis vuitton purse uh, i would pay 28.50 if it came with twenty seven hundred dollars right. you know in it um or some sort of gift card i don't know uh but but anyway gold bull so um so three hundred thousand dollars in in theft five hundred thousand dollars in damage to the store and then they get a tax notice their tax notice from the city it's $23,825 from the county. It's 18443 So they owe the city and county $42,268. You know what Louis Vuitton said? We ain't paying it. We're not paying it. And the reason we're not paying it is because you provided inadequate police protection and you didn't bring those people who perpetrated those crimes to justice. Now, now that's, a, that's kind of an ambiguous legal argument, I got to believe. I mean... Who decides whether or not they provided police protection? I mean, if your store got ransacked and looted, you don't. But if the neighbor next door didn't, they well, did a good job for me. So, so you know, the, the ambiguity of that would be hard to enforce as a legal matter. Um, we didn't bring those people to justice. Uh, who says? I mean, do you get to determine what a Senate should be for someone who steals two $3,000 pocketbooks? You, you see where I'm headed? I mean, there's some uncertainty there. But, but I had a couple of lawyers send me... Text this morning, listen to the show, and, and they're making a pretty interesting legal argument. And here it is. You ready? So in in Portland, Oregon, the city council voted that shoplifting of less than $1,000 would not include an arrest or persecution. I mean, I don't know that anything in a Louis Vuitton shop is less than a thousand bucks. I mean, if the if the purse is twenty five hundred or three grand, or I mean, it goes up to five thousand. I mean, I looked at the entry model Louis Vuitton. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. If you're a serious connoisseur of Louis Vuitton, there's a five or six thousand dollar purse that's as empty as the one that you'd pay twenty twenty five hundred dollars for. But but the legal point is that that Louis Vuitton refuses to pay city taxes. The city must sue to collect. They've done that. The city has filed a suit against. Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton counterclaims requesting a jury trial for negligence or gross negligence, given that the city's policy has allowed shoplifters to steal. I mean, imagine this, a policy that says you can steal, but don't steal more than $1,000 worth of stuff without an arrest or prosecution. Now, that's where we've gotten to in America. So, So I think this is the beginning. I mean, I think you're going to see more and more and more. And more businesses, industries, individuals say, I'm not paying that money. I mean what legal argument do you have? I mean, let's just play this out to the extreme. I mean, I'm being a bit of a conspiracy theorist here for a second. But let's say that Biden's executive order stands and the court's ruling in his favor. If it makes if somebody can find standing, it gets to the court, court decides that Joe Biden because the courts have been kind of sympathetic to executive privileges. So the court says You don't like it, and I don't like it, but Biden did what he's executively authorized to do. He declared this debt forgiven by the borrower. Not forgiven, transferred, but the word they'll use is forgiven. In other words, Dave Baker borrowed money to go to college. He didn't pay it back. Now me, Dave, and Freehold are having to pay it back. Do I have standing to sue the city or, excuse me, the federal government? Probably not, but do I have a right to not pay? You see where I'm headed? I mean, you've been negligent in your responsibility. You have no right to take my tax money and pay somebody else's. Uh, it, it would but be like a mortgage. You could that about anything well, I mean, the, the government could. spends, money okay? On no, it. no, no. But but, stick with me for a second. It's becoming so frequent. Right. It's becoming so normal. I mean, it's become. I believe that in in the throes of 2008, when we thought the world was blowing up, the financial meltdown, the subprime lending, and all these things. I understand a little bit about it. A lot I don't understand. I get that in the name of of uh, the, the common good, you know, the promoting of the general well, being of the preamble to the Constitution, you know, to, to promote the general well-being. We can't let these financial institutions just crash. We can't. I mean, you, you've heard the story. I mean, if we allowed that to happen, you would go try to get money out of your ATM account, you know, with the ATM card and it wouldn't work. So that, there's some there's some general welfare provisions there. But that was rare. rare. That was an exception. Now we're doing it every month. I mean, they're putting you, the taxpayer, on the hook about every month for money they don't have on programs that they can't afford. So at what point in time do we do what Louis Vuitton did and said, I'm just not paying it anymore? I mean, you don't have a right to be that irresponsible with my money. Demonstrate some responsibility, and I'll pay the tab. But until you do... I'm not doing it anymore. That is a taxpayer revolution. That is the modern-day Boston Tea Party. You don't have a right to be that reckless with my money. Louis Vuitton says you don't have a right to charge me for police protection and a judicial system when you don't do what we pay for. And I just don't believe this is going to be an oddity. I think this is going to be more normalized, more normalized. And I'm telling you, the government can't do anything without your money. Up until now we have willingly, however reluctantly, we have still to some degree willingly contributed our money to the federal government. What if all of a sudden businesses around the country, individuals around the country say, I'm not doing I'm not
1: funding that nonsense. It would take
0: a lot. I'm not
1: paying for that nonsense anymore. I mean because they have I mean if it if this just stands and Louis Vuitton is the example. And nobody else does it. The government, I mean, they've got power. They, they can, you know, sell their business, do a tax lien and sell it out from under them. Sell could, their property. Could. Or are we willing to go down that road? I mean, is, is America worth that? Because look, Washington's not going to self-correct.
0: I mean, it's not That's going true. to find its soul. Washington is going to hit its knees one day and say, hey, forgive us for all of our sins. We've been negligent. <laughs> We've been derelict in our duties, our responsibilities. Oh, yeah. Please forgive us. Keep sending that money, and we'll try a little bit harder. I mean, that—that's is, there, there is no. I mean, this is in your iPhone. There is no self correct or spell check. What is it? So I'm what trying to say here. Yeah, spell check. Yeah, so, spell check, spell correct, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I mean, that's not going to happen. Auto correct. The, the only way is to send a very stern message, and I believe that Louis Vuitton, a French luxury retailer, is laying down the blueprint for how we land of the free home of the brave should operate under those controversial circumstances and situations. And by the way,
1: I like it. Yeah, I like, like what they're doing. You like Louis Vuitton. I don't know anything about Louis Vuitton. Uh, okay. But I like this. Yeah. That's how you roll. <laughs> Take <laughs> a break. Nothing. Take a break. Back in a minute.
0: Eight, four, three, six, six, one, oh, nine, three, seven is our number. Let's go to the phone. A couple of callers are there. Tony
1: in Calhoun County listening to WTQS. Hi, Tony.
13: Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Um, about Portland, um, we're, we're, uh, Portland is in Multnomah County. Mm-hmm. Um, during the riots in Portland, the city police were told to stand down. Uh, the city police are controlled by the chief. The chief is appointed by the mayor. Um, so when the so basically the uh, mayor. The police are the the mayor's private army, is what I'm getting at. Um, So they stood down, they abrogated their responsibility to protect the rights of the people. Um, But what about the sheriff? And I I didn't know why the sheriff didn't act. I mean, Calhoun County, uh, Sheriff Summers has the jurisdiction to act anywhere, every square inch of the county, including St. Matthews, the city of St. Matthews. Um, In King County, Washington, the home of Seattle, they restructured the sheriff's department, made it the county sheriff, or county police, which was an appointed position. Then that failed, and they went to the county sheriff, but it was still of an appointed position. But within the charter of King County, the sheriff has no jurisdiction in incorporated areas. In other words, he can't operate in the city of, of Seattle. So what about Multnomah? So I called the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office, and I tried to ask, do you have jurisdiction to act everywhere within the county? And uh, I got redirected around, redirected around, and finally they hooked me up, told me to call or email the public information officer. So I emailed the public information officer, and I said, does the sheriff have the the jurisdiction to operate within Portland? And three weeks went by, and I didn't get a response. Um, So I sent him another email, which never was answered. So I went through, and I went to the uh, charter for Multnomah County. There were two, and I looked through the last 20 years of charter and charter amendments they um, twice have tried to make the sheriff's office an appointed position rather than elected. And it failed both times. Uh, So the sheriff of Multnomah County has the obligation to protect the rights of the citizens inside Portland. And by not doing that, you know, I mean, he's not serving his primary role, which is to protect the rights. I mean, we form governments, whether you look at the declaration of independence or, um, Yeah, I'm losing it here. But anyway, oh, Abraham Lincoln's speech. We have an obligation. We form governments to protect our rights. That's why governments exist, is to assist us in protecting our rights. Both Multnomah County and the city of Portland have given up that obligation. In other words, they said, we don't want to protect your rights. Well, if they're not going to protect our rights, why should they exist? You know, we should do what Lincoln said, cast off those chains and provide for a government that better suits us. So by not by Louis Vuitton refusing to pay for the county bill or the city bill, I think
0: it's appropriate because both of them have abrogated their responsibilities. Thank you, Tony. A lot of work done. A lot of behind the scenes work, emails, and and put phone you calls, on the research and team. Around no here. question about it. Um, yeah, t- Tony. Tony's got a lot of a lot of um, interest <laughs> in those sorts of things, and apparently some time on his hands. Um, this is an article in the National Review that I read. And um, some of the comments were very interesting. Some of the comments, I had about 300 comments, some of the comments led me to believe that there are a lot of people sitting on go. You know, I can't afford a Louis Vuitton purse, but I, I, I respect what they've done, and I'm inclined to kind of be a part of that sort of movement. Let's go to the phone. Here's
1: Brian in Florence. Good morning,
0: Brian. You're on the air.
10: I can assure you my answer is not going to be near as nice as Tony's, but uh, I think good for Louis Vuitton. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of, the, of companies do that in regards to Biden's new um, – Mandatory tax on corporations, too. How can we financially hold a company uh, legal for taxes when they're operating in the red?
0: Thank you, sir. Yeah, well, man. I mean, I appreciate that call. Think of this, guys, for a second. I mean, let, let's be let's be a bit philosophical. I mean, take politics and put it in your back pocket for just a second. The only way the government does X, Y, or Z is through your funding. I mean, when let's even go to the borrowed money. The fiat currency they print is guaranteed by what? the full faith and credit to the federal government. The government has no ability to generate cash. I mean, it, it, it all comes from, well, I say none. I mean, you, you pay money to go to a national park, you pay money to, to camp at a campground. Or I mean, so, so there's, some, I mean, there, there's some creative ways they can raise revenue. But the majority of funding for the federal government is taxes, right? I mean, we know that to be the case. At what point in time do we, the people, say you don't have a right to be that irresponsible with my money? I mean, I get elections. You elected these dummies. You elected these financially irresponsible people. But, but I, I just believe that Louis Vuitton, I mean, this is kind of the weirdest suspect imaginable, a French luxury retailer, but I, but I believe Louis Vuitton is ahead of the curve. And I think it's going to set a precedent. And I think you're going to see a lot of other businesses and corporations and maybe some individuals that say, you're not providing police protection you're not providing an adequate judicial system. Therefore, I'm not going to help fund something that's inferior, the substandard that that is intentionally been manipulated to make sure people who steal $800 worth of product or good are not creating a crime. What if you own a business? What if it's not a Louis Vuitton? What if you own a, a place that sells purses for $100 and somebody comes and breaks in your store and steals 500, uh, excuse me, yeah, $500 worth of purses and they're not prosecuted? Because of some city ordinance. I mean, I mean, what do you owe them? I mean, they've obviously shown what they owe you. Nothing. I mean, they passed an ordinance that says shoplifting is no longer considered a crime. It's not going to be prosecuted if it's less than 1000 bucks. So somebody breaks into your business. They steal $800 worth of your product, your widgets, and the city fails to prosecute based on an ordinance they've approved. What responsibility do you have to continue to fund that? I mean, I think it becomes a legal matter then. I mean, I think it, it ceases. I mean, the, well, you understand the philosophy behind it. We all understand the philosophical nature of what I'm saying. I work hard for my money. You work hard for yours. They don't have a right to take a certain percentage of your income and the money you make and do nonsensical things with it. But we've accepted that as the political imperfections, right? I mean, the Democrats and the Republicans, you know how they are. I mean, man, they just, you can't get out of your own way. They're incompetent. They're dumb. They're stupid. You know, they're uh, they're they're bought off. They're doing all these craziness, but 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 at some point in time, it, it crosses that threshold, and I think Louis Vuitton has shown what sort of actions are necessary when you believe the government is derelict in their duty. Now, now who does it next? I don't have any idea, but but I think this is the beginning of a phase where people refuse to pay for substandard government or government that this passes orders that are not in that business's best interest
1: let's go to the phone matt in florence hello matt you're on the air
14: hey guys i'm a little bit late calling about this uh it's with regards to the byu uh deal and uh don saley uh canceling the games um we just need to remember that it's close to midterms and i know this is political garbage i'm about to say right here but uh the democrats they're going to use this to remind uh people that aren't white um that um The Republican Party hates him Um, so the best thing for any Republican lawmaker to say right now is uh, uh, with regards to it is that they think that there should be a full investigation into the alleged incident and then the school should make a decision based upon the facts and leave it at that you know last last little bit I think that's the fairest thing for everyone and say nothing else about this Because it's just going to be used as a way they're going to get some Republican lawmaker to say that Don Taylor overreacted or is stupid or something like that. And then they will twist that into a completely different narrative. Um, We all know that what they're going to find out is uh, whoever this student is lied. Um, They made it up. wanted attention. I don't really know. Maybe they weren't playing well that day. Needed an excuse. Um, But that's what's going to be found out. I think that's what the cameras have already shown. So uh, I just think it's a, this is a little bit of it could be a trap. And it, while it's political trash to even talk about it in this manner, Republicans got to use caution uh, with it. Uh, that's just my thoughts on it.
0: Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. See, I don't know that the Republican needs needs to be cautious about this. I mean, let, let, let's be gut level honest. You ready? And I'll probably get in trouble for saying this. Ninety percent of African-Americans are going to vote for the Democrat anyway. I mean, Matt said the Republicans got to slow walk. You're dealing with an African American basketball coach. You're dealing with a university. What do the Republicans have to lose in picking a fight with an African American basketball coach and a university of higher learning or an institution of higher learning? I mean, how many people that work at USC are going to vote for the Republican anyway? How many people who would support Dawn Staley no matter what she did in, in the name of woke, political correct? So, 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 I mean, if you can't pick this fight, what fight can you pick? What do the Republicans have to lose? by being on the bad side of Dawn Staley or being on the bad side of a college administration. You see where I'm headed? Yeah, not much. No, I mean, there's nothing to lose there. I mean, do do you believe if you stand beside Dawn and and, and have her back, I mean, do you believe all of a sudden the African-American community say, you know, Republicans aren't that bad? I mean, I think we should vote for them. Do you believe college administrators and, and professors and people who work at that university, do you believe they're all of a sudden going to say, you know, those Republicans, they have these stances on abortion and taxes and, and, and gay rights and all these other sorts of things. But I mean, they were there when we needed them. No. I mean, I, I think if there's any fight to not be cautious about, this is the one. And I'm not out to get anybody. I mean, there's no intent here to get anybody. But if the series was canceled based on information you can't corroborate or prove, has the university, as Matt said, has the university conducted any sort of investigation? Have they called the BYU Police Department? Have they called the BYU Athletics Department? Have they called the Duke Athletic or Police Department? I mean, what sort of investigation has been done, and how briefed is the university in regards to said investigation? I don't know the answer to that. I have no idea. What sort of investigation? I know that BYU's campus police lieutenant said yesterday or last night that they have investigated. They're still investigating, and up until now, they can't find corroborating evidence or information. But but we have—we, uh, the University of South Carolina has formally announced that they're not honoring the contract. You, you see where I'm headed? I mean, you're talking about getting the horse ahead of the—excuse uh, me, the buggy ahead of the horse— Wow.
1: who Who's responsible Has for that? the university officially announced it or just on stage? Well, I
0: mean, the university announced it, and, and, and Ray Tanner said he supported her decision. Okay, I mean, you know, there, there's a, a chain of command. I mean, the coach works for the AD. The AD works for the president. I've not heard the president say anything about this or not. And it's much deeper than women's basketball. I mean, the, the world could care less whether the Lady Gamecocks go to BYU and BYU come here. I mean, 99.999% of the world could care less. High percentage of the lesbian community, but, but the majority of people in America could care less about BYU and South Carolina playing women's basketball. But I think we should all care about the flagship university of this state making a decision whether it was made unilaterally or not without an investigation finding out what the truth is. We're breaching a contract. Why are we breaching that contract because we heard something or because we know something that's a big important point take a break back in a minute eight four three six six one oh nine three seven you buy those louis vuitton knockoff purses in new york city for about 60 or 80 bucks i mean just i'm just letting okay. you know i mean they're they're, they're <laughs> well, legitimate thanks for sharing well, i mean there, there's a place you can go you know this i mean they're they have bags of fake purses and they look real and the Louis Vuittons were about 60, 80 bucks. <laughs> Somewhere they about. I'll pick you know. up a Rolex while you're going. No, I'm at a Bolex. Yeah. <laughs> Makes your wrist turn green. Yeah. I got one of those for about 30 bucks, yeah. years and years and years ago. Let's go to the phone. Anne
1: in Florence, hello Anne.
5: Good morning. While well, you guys are talking about Louis Vuitton and a matter that is not happening here in South Carolina, I wanted to call and mention something that happened this past weekend here in our area. Our government recently raised, uh, started a new program where people who own property for rent have to start paying a certain fee every year in order to be able to rent your own property that you already own. And you would think for those additional fees that we would get expert service from our local law enforcement when you have property in the city limits. Don't know what the city is doing with these new fees they're collecting, but um, that would be interesting to find out, Ken, what they're doing with these fees that they're collecting from all of us down property. But we received a call over the weekend that somebody in one of our properties in the city limits, uh, the boy and girl were fighting. We received this call from a neighbor. So we went over to our property to see what was going on, and um they indeed were having a fight so my husband called the city police department to ask them to come over because they were tearing up our property on the inside and when he called he was told that the city of Florence no longer handle those type of service calls that um you know they would be happy to provide us with a case number but that was all they could do that they would not be sending an officer out
0: wow Thank you for that information. I'll follow up and see what I can find out. Thank you very much, Ann. Let's get our last caller in before we have to get out of here. Charles and Lamar. Good morning, Charles. Good
15: morning, guys. Let's assume just for a moment that everything that was alleged to have happened at BYU happened. Let's just assume that it's real, that it's not made up, even though there's absolutely zero evidence. Just assume it's real. The last time I went to a football game in Columbia, I had a drunk student call me an effing redneck witch, or at least rhymes with witch, Um, and I laughed about it and went on. But what if I contacted Clemson University and said, I expect you to not ever play South Carolina again because somebody slurred me? Is that not the most ridiculous thing ever? Forgive the fact that it can't be proven that it ever happened. The guy may have thought he was talking to one of his one of his wives or something. The BYU fan, but um, uh, forget the fact that it can't be proved that it ever happened. It's
0: just ludicrous to think that somebody can do that. Thank you. Well, as a, as a th- Gamecock fan, Charles, I'm embarrassed. I mean, I'll be. I mean, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I'm as Gamecock a fan as there is, and I'm, not, I'm unapologetically. I mean, I'm proud to be a Gamecock, but I am embarrassed that this university has put itself in this position. Thank you, Charles. Appreciate that. I mean, you know, I mean, I I, I just, I, it frustrates me how these sorts of things fester. And um, I mean, I, I made it clear what I would do this morning. Um, If it was indeed a reality. I mean, I understand Dawn's sentiment. I get it. I mean, make a public announcement. You're opposed to racism. You're opposed to verbal abuse. Okay, fair enough. I mean, we got that out of the way. You don't breach a contract. You don't breach a contract based on some sort of, I mean, I agree with Charles, even if it did happen, it's not the sort of situation where you back out of a contract. If it didn't happen, it's a total embarrassment to the university to allow this to be done this way. We'll
4: talk tomorrow.